Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. And I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. You can follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. You can follow him on the Twitter machine. Nick, what is going on, man? How was your weekend? Uh, relatively laid-back weekend. Stayed uh, pretty close to home. It didn't go to any... Fireworks shows or anything, but uh, fireworks have been going off in my neighborhood for weeks. So, you know, <laughs> didn't really feel like I was missing too much. How about you guys? Xavier, you're getting the uh, the nightly fireworks show until they run out? Yeah. Yeah. It's annoying. And I already don't sleep well at night as it is. Uh, but this weekend, I binge watched Harry Potter. So uh, that, that was pretty much my entire weekend. Yeah. I know this is going to be a bad take. I've never seen or read any Harry Potter stuff. This is my first time. This is, oh, is my it? first time. Okay. Yeah, All right. So, See, you're younger, I so I figured maybe you watched it growing up or something. But, yeah. I, I And I've watched nerdy stuff. I've seen the Lord of the Rings stuff, Game of Thrones, all that stuff. I just haven't made time for the Harry Potter stuff. So, you know, I, I just have never seen it. So, um, Nick, you, are you caught up on, on all the Harry Potters? Yeah. Yeah. I... Uh, I read all but the very last book uh when as they were not um, you know from the very beginning when they were coming out but i started reading them when they were still coming out and i've i've seen i think all the movies so i'm okay. i'm pretty caught up but i yeah lord of the rings i've never never done that so i i i have hits and misses as well that sort of thing i'm not getting the bad um the bad fireworks stuff uh, around Lucky. here and I'm surrounded by white <laughs> trash. So I'm, I'm, so I'm kind of surprised that I haven't gotten it the last couple of years that I've lived here. Uh, all these apartment complexes around me have tons and tons of fireworks going off. I know that, um, because of the fires, I think they up oh, the fire sure. a lot yeah. this year. So, and people are broke and can't afford fireworks. So, you know, I, I think those are the things that have caused it. But most of the time, I only heard them on the 4th, and it was for like an hour. And last year, I went driving around to find who who was firing them off because it made me so mad. It was at like 1 a.m. I'm like, I'm about to get in somebody's face. you know. And, uh, and I went looking for them, and, and you know, they just shot them off and went back inside. So I couldn't find them, but it was... Uh, it, nothing this year and there weren't that many i saw la had like a ton of them which was mm. crazy and then of course weird conspiracy theories come with a bunch of fireworks as well i don't know if you guys saw that so i won't even bother you with it it's, it's <laughs> nuts but um you know it was uh, i enjoyed my weekend mom made ribs went over nice. to mom's house had some ribs and stuff and, and uh you know just hung out at home and uh you know caught up on all my rankings and all that stuff i'm doing a cff uh best ball draft right now so you guys might hear the horn come through my headphones into the microphone mm. uh, because the fan tracks horn is very very loud but uh, today <laughs> we're going to be talking about the pac 12 and the mountain west and we're going to throw byu in that grouping as well so i'm looking forward to this but uh nick tell us what's new over on the patreon yeah, so uh, available now to our patrons, patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. We have uh, position usage profiles. I said last week that we'd gotten all the team-by-team uh, -team tables done, so you can look and see uh, you know, what teams run their quarterback more or incorporate wide receivers in uh, the run game, throw to the running backs, things like that. And also 
built some, you know, bigger databases to show all 130 teams and, and did some little bit more in-depth uh, calculations for that sort of thing. So uh, I think it'll be, you know, fairly helpful for anybody really that's got just sort of an interest to see where the ball is going. But uh, our followers and, and listeners who uh, are CFF uh, players, I think might might get the most use out of that just to sort of be able to see, okay, this, you know, this team or this play caller, because we included that as well, uh, is more likely to, to run the quarterback, is more likely to uh, get the running back involved in the in the passing game. So I think those will be uh, fairly useful. And then uh, right now on Twitter, it'll probably be done by time uh, our our listeners hear this, but uh, have a, a poll going on which of the uh, 130 teams will release uh, free to anybody that's you know just wants to to take a sneak peek at our FBS team profiles. Uh, one team has a, a pretty hefty lead, so I, I went ahead and and built <laughs> sort of that uh, sneak preview page so that uh, you know who who is going to be unless unless there's a late uh, come from behind victory. I saw the uh, first nomination was Rutgers. Hey, you know, I, I just threw it out there late last night, and, and it wasn't uh, me. <laughs> and uh, had had four followers, uh, you know, bring up different teams, and uh, Mississippi State's got a, a pretty pretty big lead. It was like eighty nine percent last I saw. So uh, probably probably going to be Mississippi State will be free to anybody that wants to uh, get a closer look at, at you know one of those one hundred and thirty FPS. Uh, profiles, you know, before sort of making the plunge and going to tier two and, and $15 a month. But I uh, did want to put that out there. And then also uh, the next big project I'm working on stat projections. So I've been going through and, and compiling, uh, you know, uh, who the, the head coaches, offensive coordinators, players, who's, who's going to be, you know, QB1, RB1, all that sort of stuff, throw everything into a, a big formula and start spitting out uh, projections for, for those players. So again, probably most useful to, to CFF players, but then also that sort of thing will be helpful for, uh, you know, player props and, and things like that, uh, that, that I'm sure will be posted to, to sports books, uh, as we get a little bit closer to the scheduled start of the season, but, uh, sort of on that note, things are a little bit, of course, in flux, with uh, the start of the season, but I don't know if I've mentioned it explicitly, but did want to to say that, you know, CFP Winning Edge and sort of the, the uh, backbone of, of what we offer our patrons is our FBS team profiles. Those are built to be very adaptable. So if, you know, we get news and, and when there are some cancellations or games get rescheduled, things like that, uh, we can make all of our updates very, very quickly. So, you know, I love preseason magazines and, and things like that. Uh, but they're pretty much obsolete as soon as you bring them home. We're, we're built to uh, be able to make adjustments. And so, you know, if all of a sudden we get an unexpected game pop up, you know, 10 days before it's supposed to kick off or something like that, we'll just be able to uh, make quick adjustments and get projected point spreads and all that good stuff. So I uh, did want to make note of that it, again, if anybody's interested in, taking a look at what we've got to offer. You'll be able to do that with the, the free preview, but also keep in mind that, you know, we make updates daily and anytime news comes out, uh, we're able to make adjustments and, and give you the most up-to-date information. Now on those, uh, you know, you were talking about the usage and all that stuff, and I don't want you to give away 
a ton of stuff, but can you just give us like maybe one surprising stat that you saw when you were compiling that together? And uh, as far as usage goes, something that just, you know, kind of popped out to you that you weren't really expecting. Um, so the, I think, I think a lot of it in part of the, you know, there's, there's not much that's going to be just absolutely shocking. It right. sort of just helps to confirm uh, sort of, you know, prior thought, but I guess maybe on the, the, what's that? Your thought process. Yeah. I think so. I mean, you know, there, there are useful bits that you can pull out and, and uh, you know, if, if you've got a new uh, coordinator, new head coach, maybe you, you haven't That's gone right. deep onto, you know, how they incorporate different positions, but I mean, just, just pulled up, you know, real quick percentage of uh, QB runs. So like who, who gets the highest percentage of that team's carries uh, that go to the quarterback. And, and last year, Virginia led the nation over 50%. They were the wow. only team uh, over 50% that uh, basically Bryce Perkins got, you know, more yeah. than well, that's part of it. And, and scrambles are, mm-hmm. are certainly part of this. We do take out sacks. And, and so these are adjusted yeah, right. for, for that as well. But uh, yeah, Virginia was the only team with, with 50%, uh, only a handful of 40%. Uh, Middle Tennessee was the second highest actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, Asher O'Hara, uh, Oklahoma was third. Uh, right. So those three, you know, you might have expected triple option teams to, to yeah. be at the, the yeah. very top of that. Navy actually comes in fourth. But, uh, you know, it, it was somewhat surprising to me that Kentucky uh, was down at, at six because I actually did, uh, you know, include Lynn Bowden as a quarterback and, and all of his yeah. runs were accounted for the purposes here as, as quarterback runs. I haven't been able to go that step further to say, you know, okay, exactly how many was he lined up at quarterback? How many were reverses, things like that. But this gives a, a pretty clear picture. So I guess that was a little bit of a surprise. I mean, God, I hope the Raiders seven. don't ruin him, <laughs> you know, because he played wide receiver and quarterback in, in college and they, they drafted him as a running back. Right. So, yeah. Very, I, mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, he was, he was pretty close to a running back last year. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> the triple option stuff. And I'm not saying he can't play running back. I'm just saying that, you know, uh, I hope because Josh Jacobs is really good. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just seems yeah. like he would fit better as either a backup quarterback, you know, a they, they might slash him, you know, like Cordell. So uh, mm-hmm. not many guys like that. Antoine Randall L with the Sealers too did mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. um, there's other guys. Yeah, Heinz Ward. Also with the Steelers and, yeah. and you know Terrell Pryor bounced around. I mean, I do remember speaking of the Steelers. I do remember Terrell Pryor having the longest quarterback run in NFL history when Paul Amalu whiffed on a tackle uh, <laughs> for him in the Coliseum, and he went like I think it was ninety four yards. And I was like, "Yep, well, that's gonna put the old uh, that that's gonna be the end of Paul Amalu's career right there." And he retired after the season. <laughs> so. Um, but that's but, interesting. Yeah, man. I, I I figured it would be, you know, Navy, Air Force, all the triple option mm-hmm. teams uh, way up there. And it was uh, Bryce Perkins. So, uh, yeah. That first. How about Brennan Armstrong? I like that. Well, so, see, it's but it's interesting, though, because like the, this information is, I think, useful. But it's also important to sort of consider it's really just one snapshot of, of yes. one year. And Bryce Perkins was kind of a unique player. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure Armstrong will exactly be to work, you know, uh, Tompkins, whoever ends up, or Thompson, excuse me, whoever ends up actually winning that job. But it's, you know, it's, it's 
interesting to to look at and and you can go back compare to to prior years but also i mean one that just jumped out i'm looking at the other end of the leaderboard the three teams that have the lowest percentage are minnesota wisconsin and oregon well oregon completely different uh situation now that joe moorhead is calling plays there we call plays at mississippi state when he was the head coach last year who was up at you know near the top at number 14 so we can expect the quarterback to to be involved a lot more in in the running game sort of a different uh spin on on things i also just sort of calculated or, or wanted to look at you know what teams are relying on position groups the most like how many plays or how many you know what percentage of total plays run through a particular position i don't i haven't figured out maybe the best way to explain it quite yet but i incorporated so for quarterbacks you know what percentage of plays were either an attempted pass by a quarterback or a qb run you know who who is relying on the quarterback the most or who is kind of taking the ball out of the quarterback's hands the most well last year colorado believe it or not, was the team that uh, was at number one with 70%. And, and on the other end, you know, the teams that actually were taking it out of the quarterback's hands, believe it or not, because we were just talking about, you know, triple option teams and service academies, things like that, Air Force didn't didn't really, you know, uh, passing plays, of course, were a big part of that, but, you know, did a lot of handoffs and, of course, you know, option pitches and, and things like that. But just kind of some, you know, FYI stuff, kind of fairly interesting stuff, but I think – you know, does have some value uh, as well. And our, our patrons can just sort of poke around and, and see I what, love that. Uh, yeah. what's available there. You know, just, just kind of some interesting things. We've got, we've got a little time now. We might have some more uh, yeah. coming up. So We definitely might have some more. And that leads us to the news. And it's been, you know, uh, just not, not necessarily, uh, I mean, we, there's some real bad news, of course, in here. But it, it, it it's just been... You know, like the Ivy League today decided to go ahead and uh, cancel uh, their their season until or their all their sports until uh, January. So at the earliest, and then you know, according to Brandon Marcello from Two Four Seven Sports, optimism has sunk in recent weeks among the P Five commissioners that uh, the the they'll be able to start the season on time. Now uh, they really, really would like to you know, get the season in this year. So like, I think the first bump back plan would be to October. So that's nice to know, but it's looking less and less likely that the season will start on time. So, uh, you know, uh, and the other schools, a lot of schools don't make money. The P five G five teams do make money on football for the most part. So, um, they're going to want to come back, but like, you know, your division two, II, division three, they're not making a ton of money. So it, it makes more sense for them to shut it down. But Nick, you, you, what, what are your thoughts on the most recent things that we're hearing about the potential, you know, pushing back of college football this year? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not great news. You would rather hear things are on schedule to, to be uh, played as, as we expect. That would mean that sort of the larger, world things are lining up a little bit in, in order a little bit better and, and this is just sort of a sign that you know obviously we've, we've got some hurdles ahead of us and and the ivy league i think is interesting in particular because they were if memory serves they were the first uh conference to cancel their uh conference basketball tournament they were the first mm-hmm. to cancel spring sports 
as a whole and, and pretty much everybody eventually fell in line, some within days, some within, you know, a couple of weeks. But uh, they're sort of they've, they've been out in, in front on a lot of these things. And I know that everybody is being cautious with this news and saying, oh, you know, things are different in P5. Ivy League is very different because, you know, they don't play in the FCS playoffs. They don't rely on, you know, TV money and, and things like that. So it is different, but it is, I think, important to remember that this league in particular has sort of been uh, the, the one that's willing to step up and say, okay, we need to push this off. And, and some people might say it's, you know, still too early, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. And, and I, I have heard that, yeah, you know, P5 uh, commissioners and, and conferences are, are going to try, I think, everything they can to save the season in, in whatever form it, it takes. But, uh, you know, pushing it back, I think, unfortunately, seems more likely now than it did, you know, a week or two ago. Xavier, what are your thoughts on a potential pushback? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind the idea of a pushback. I think that whatever can keep the kids as safe as possible is first priority. Um, what I'd, I'd like to offer up kind of a counter is we saw this a lot in soccer over the last couple of months. And some professional leagues in Europe decided to completely cancel their seasons. This was uh, in the Netherlands and in France. They both decided that we're not going to play anymore. And whatever was the, the standings at the time, they decided to stop then. But we also saw team. We also saw leagues in England and Spain and Italy all decided they're going to play. So we're going to we may see something like this where the Ivy League decides that we're not going to play football. But you have leagues that feel like they can do it and they can do it the right way. They decide to push forward and go ahead and do it. Uh, just to kind of provide some optimism of we're going to have different views this entire time. You know, right now we have been different sports where some players are joining in with the restart in the NBA, some are not, you know, and, and this is going to kind of be a, a, a way and see kind of situation because we will have players who sit out even when their teams decide that they want to play. Uh, so we just have to kind of stay kind of uh, stay in the middle. Don't get too negative, too positive here with the Ivy League deciding that they're not going to play fall football or fall sports as a, as a whole. And I'm completely distracted. Uh, number 27 back there. Is that a DeMonte <laughs> KZ jersey? Is that who it is? Yeah. You you hung that up prominently because we're doing the Mountain West today? Is that is that right? Oh, no. I Out of all of the stresses that the Falcons caused me last year, he was one of the few players who did. So I bought his jersey. <laughs> uh, he went to San Diego State, right? Am I? Am yes. I? Okay. Yes. And then let me, let me see if I can get these right. Um, uh, Roddy White, did he go to UAB? Is that right? Yes. Yep. And then Julio was obviously Bama. And I, Tony Gonzalez so long ago, that was USC though, right? Cal. Cal. Damn it. I knew. <laughs> I, I knew I was. I'm like, I know it's somewhere in California. I thought it was USC. It was Cal. You're absolutely right. Um, and I have no idea where anybody else on your shelf went. So, uh, <laughs> Chipper. Uh, didn't, go didn't go to college. Jason Terry, school. Jason Terry went to Arizona and Shaq went to LSU. And then that's a. Um, Tune squad jersey in the back, all the way back. Oh, that's a shack. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I that's just a heat shack. Because I'm, you know, I'm getting all. I need the glasses. <laughs> we talked about that before, but uh, you know, get, getting back to just some. Uh, oh yeah, and then the Georgia. This, I mean, you, you're all set in there. I, I like it. I like your setup there. Um, now the um, UNC uh, canceled their uh, voluntary workouts because 37 athletes tested positive for COVID-19 this week. Um, and I actually saw, and I don't know if this is true, uh, but 
I saw that Notre Dame tested 109 athletes and none came back positive. I, I'm like, was the testing thing just broken or something? Because we haven't had that for any single team where they came back all negative. So Notre Dame kids doing a great job, Nick. Notre Dame. And, and I think Tulane was in a, a similar boat as well. I saw wow. after, uh, after Notre Dame. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. And, and like Xavier was just saying, it's different in different places. And, and unfortunately we're seeing some schools where dozens of people are, affected and, and, you know, uh, brighter news. We're seeing some where uh, they've got it a little bit better uh, or, or at least the numbers are, are coming up better and hopefully they'll continue to, to be like that. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll see more Notre Dames uh, in, in the coming weeks and months uh, than, than, you know, North Carolina's or Kansas state's or, or the other teams that we've seen had to right. uh, sort of shut things down after, after attempting to get them going. Yeah. Yeah. Xavier, your thoughts on, uh, you know, just the testing. And I, I gotta say, I'm more impressed by the schools with no cases because, uh, you know, the basketball rosters, there's not a single team without someone right. uh, testing it. And they've got 17 guys in the NBA. So, uh, pretty incredible that 109 kids can all not have it. Yeah, that's impressive. Um, uh, they must be doing quarantine right. Uh, I'm not. Su- I'm not suggesting that the other teams are doing it wrong, but to, to have 109 kids tested and you get zero pops is real. It, it's positive news. It's in the right direction. Uh, the only thing that's going to be weird about that situation, and not to get too negative, is, is if what if somebody didn't get to the round in the next round of testing, and yeah. so it's like okay. Was our test faulty, like you said, or did they go out and you know do something in the in the time frame between hand, between the last two tests or what have, have you? So this, this is going to be a weird situation in that regard, more so than if somebody already had it and they just have to be quarantined now. Yeah, yeah. So pretty impressive. Now um, we had some sanctions. The NCAA announced sanctions for Texas A and M due to a recruiting violation, including a six month show cause order for. Uh, head coach Jimbo Fisher, he and AM will face restrictions in recruiting during the next cycle, but it seems unlikely that there will be a major impact to the Aggies signing class. And, and even though, you know, I do root against AM mm-hmm. in most things, I don't want to see anybody get sanctions put on them by the NCAA. And I don't really know what a show cause is, Nick. Can you explain that to us? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I know that it's, it's, you know, you, you hear that word, and it's kind of scary. And, and it, it uh, uh, was part of, you know, Chip Kelly got a show cause and was part of uh, why he, he left Oregon for the NFL. And, and I think there are maybe different levels of, of severity. I'm sure folks out there know a little bit better than I do. And, and Xavier probably does as well. But um, from, from what I've gathered on this situation specifically, it seems that he's not going to be able to go on the road and, and recruit this fall. And, and I don't know if it's hundred percent clear as to whether some assistance may be in that uh, pool as well. And, and then I do know that there's a restriction. There was a, a situation with one particular player where it was sort of an impermissible meeting at a, at a high school. And, and uh, so Texas A&M was uh, barred from recruiting that player and then recruiting uh, his high school for, I believe, the next year. So, you know, one player here or there or, or a couple of players that, you know, unless it's a major powerhouse program that's got half a dozen or more, you know, uh, big time FBS 
uh, prospects each year. Probably not going to have a huge impact. I wouldn't expect, uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher, sure, you know, I'm sure recruits would like to have him over for dinner and, and all that stuff on a, you know, at, at an in-home visit. But I don't expect that's going to be a make or break for a lot of these guys making their decision and, and wouldn't expect it to, you know, see Texas A&M drop from fifth or wherever they were right. last year into the 20s or, or below uh, in, in the 2021 cycle. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on the uh, show cause for the Aggies? Yeah, so just to kind of give – lamer terms to what a show cause kind of is. It's almost like being on probation. Uh, so you kind of have to meet with the NCAA while you're on the show cause order or while you're under it to kind of show what you're doing right, to show that you're still abiding by the rules that they've placed um, and to show that you're not infringing on what you uh, what, what your penalty is for throughout the duration of your show cause order. So for what, six months, they have to continue to show that they're recruiting the right way properly without uh, improper benefits being used uh, in in their recruiting, as well as what Nick said on top of uh, Jimbo not being able to be a part of the uh, in-person recruiting or anything like that um, as well. So that's kind of what it's like. Uh, it's kind of like Texas A&M and Jimbo's kind of has an ankle monitor on at the current moment. Um, <laughs> and I, just, I, I just think it's, uh, it's like a, a slap on the wrist. Uh, it's one of those situations where the NCAA puts its foot down uh, on, on a big university when they finally get popped for doing something that I think everybody in America feels like most big universities do at least under the table once or twice every couple of years. So, yeah, I mean, the only time I've, I've wanted a team to really get hit with stuff like this was, uh, you know, unfortunately when your Braves went to the Dominican uh, and recruited the 14 year olds and stuff and was giving them money under the table and that kind of stuff like that, that's underhanded. They're, those kids aren't even adults. You know what I mean? Uh, the recruiting stuff, I like you said, everybody does it. You know, uh, so it's <laughs> it, it's not it's not that surprising. And it wasn't a terrible. They're not paying the kids or anything. It's uh, you know, they just showed up where they weren't supposed to one time. It's not really that big a deal. But they got caught for it. So, uh, you know, be be sneakier, A and M. Uh, you know, and, and they're watching you harder. So. Uh, it, it's tough to follow that. The rest of the news here before we dive into the Pac-12 and the Mountain West, um, Oklahoma State left tackle uh, Dylan Galloway has retired due to injuries. He made 14 career starts for the Cowboys, and no more football for him. Tulane redshirt senior running back Corey Dufane uh, will miss the 2020 season after tearing his Achilles tendon. Rough break for him. Uh, former UNLV starting quarterback Armani Rogers entered the transfer portal. It's going to be interesting to see where he lands. And then Central Michigan quarterback George Pearson has entered the transfer portal. I know David Moore suspended for the first five games. So that means that Daniel Richardson or Sam Houston grad transfer type Brock are most likely to start for the Chippewas uh, at the beginning of the season, whenever it should start. And um, unfortunately, really sad news. Toledo defensive lineman Janiel Douglas was shot and killed overnight after an argument with someone in a bar. So Nick, um, you know, really unfortunate for Janiel Douglas, uh, but the, the rest of the news, uh, you know, is just not not that surprising. You know, a lot of injuries and stuff happening this time when when workouts are ramping up. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, you know, our hearts go out to, to Toledo and, and that program and, and that family as well. You, you certainly hate to hear uh, of things like that, you know, anywhere. But but of course, you know, these young men uh, for sure uh, at, at Oklahoma State, I think, you know, Galloway retiring is is relatively important. I mean, Oklahoma State is is sort of really gearing up to make a run in 2020. Got a lot of guys coming back, a lot of experience. 
particularly on offense and, and to lose who was penciled in to be your starting left tackle and the guy who's, you know, have a, have a full year of starting experience uh, coming into this year is, is not necessarily good on the field. Uh, they, they probably will be fine. They're, they're still going to have a pretty experienced unit, but uh, you know, you'd rather have a, a, an experienced guy there than, than putting somebody in for the first time. So I think that's going to have a, a bit of an impact. Uh, Dauphin is, is uh, a, a tricky situation. He got a, a what, a sixth year of eligibility uh, somewhat unexpectedly early in the off season. So for him to come back was kind of expected to be, you know, the, the top, ball carrier there at Tulane. They, they spread it around pretty well, but uh, was probably going to get the, the heaviest workload there at running back. So it'll be interesting to see how they divide that up moving forward. And certainly a, a hit for a team that's uh, looking to get back, you know, to a bowl game, what, for the, the third straight year, I believe. So uh, he's, a, he's a big part of that offense. So he'll, he'll certainly be missed. Uh, I, I guess we shouldn't have been shocked that Rodgers at UNLV moved in the transfer portal. They brought in a big-time transfer from TCU to compete and, and brought back the uh, player that started ahead of Rodgers, uh, sort of held on to that job once he got injured last year and, and then uh, never really, you know, pushed to get it back, it seems. Um, but, that, you know, I've heard some whispers. Could he possibly switch positions? He's, a, you know, he's, he's fast. He's 6'5", 230, uh, was really an impressive runner. Uh, much more so than than a thrower. So is it somebody who could, you know, work himself into a tight end position somewhere? Or uh, are we going to see him, you know, try for another opportunity to play quarterback, whether it's at another G5 uh, program or or potentially, uh, uh, you know, a lower division uh, level? So be interesting to see. He, he was a, a really fun player to watch, I thought, at UNLV. So uh, be interested to, to see where he ends up. And who knows, Central Michigan's tried to bring in a couple of uh, grad transfers. You know, our, our, you know, they tried to bring in Jeff Duffy from uh, Texas Tech, and, and that didn't work out. But things are thinning in, you know, thinning a little bit there. Uh, Ty Brock's going to be an interesting case. He was fairly productive at the FCS level, and I think he's got a little bit of uh, academic uh things to, to get through. He's got to graduate, I believe, this summer, uh, but he'll be in there and, and competing. Like you said, uh, Moore's going to be suspended for the first five games, so somebody's got to start. Uh, so is, is it going to be Richardson or is it going to be Brock? And, and if so, you know, who, who's going to be able to, to lead that team that was the division champions? And, and Kobe uh, Lewis just Africa. drafted him. Hey, that's what we need. You know, just, we need a lot of running. Just give the ball to him, absolutely. That's right. That's right. Uh, ho- hopefully. That's what it's going to be. But uh, Xavier, your thoughts on uh, obviously, you know, Janiel Douglas and uh, some of these other injuries cropping up. Yeah, you know, uh, our, our thoughts and prayers are with him, his family, and obviously the entire team at Toledo. Nick, I wanted to ask you, as far as Central Michigan, uh, Central Michigan situation is concerned, has that affected their projected win totals at all um, going into next year? Uh, not really percentage points, uh, but because we didn't know who was going to be the starter, um, it's, it's always, it, it, it's been split between, uh, two projected starters. And then the, the top three guys on the depth chart we've considered as part of the, the two deep because David Moore started four games last year was pretty good when he had opportunities. Uh, so I, I would expect if he were, 
eligible. He would, you know, be the the projected starter. So my thought is that he could still take over in the in the second half of the season. So I wanted to incorporate him there uh, a little bit. Brock is the highest rated player right now because Richardson's a retro freshman, only played three games. You know, as a uh, Mac signee, not a super highly rated guy. So he's just over 70 in our individual player ratings. Brock uh, actually came in out of high school with a higher rating according to 247 Sports and then made 15 starts and, and racked up six uh, production points according to our calculation. So he's he's a, an 82 rated player right now, which is you know a pretty big gap, but um, I still wouldn't you know assume that he's going to uh, get that job from day one, I mean, Richardson has been on campus, knows the playbook a, a little bit better, and and uh, Brock's you know still got some things to uh, get through academically. So uh, I don't know; it'll be interesting. But but moving uh, Pearson off, who was a seventy-one, and then putting Brock on, it actually slightly increased their their rating, but only by percentage points. Okay. And then as far as the Amarni Rodgers move, it, it's a weird situation for me. I mean, this is a guy who's very, very physically gifted. 6'5", 225 as a quarterback is ridiculous. Uh, but he had a very inconsistent career in, at UNLV. It was kind of up and down. He was fun to watch, but it, he was never the guy. You never. He was, you know, he played that first year and he's kind of dealt with injuries and not being able to play as much the last couple of years. And I really feel like it's going to be a weird situation where he goes. I think Nick hit it on the head. Central Michigan is a possible landing spot, but do you think that he wants to stay in the G5? Uh, I think he wants to try to make a P5 move. It seems like a guy who probably is going to make a P5 move. I don't know where. Uh, I know Oregon, possibly. Really? You know, yeah. that would... Uh, is it, what, would uh, what year is he? Is he a junior? He's a senior. He's a grad He's a transfer. Would be, yeah. Yeah, would be immediate. Yeah, Oregon doesn't make much sense then. Uh, it, it, it would have to before. be immediate. It would have to be an immediate immediate landing spot uh, where he could go right in and, and, and compete for the starting job. And doing it this late in the process as well feels a little bit rash and weird to me. Uh, I just well, don't he know. might have more information than we do on a delayed start. Fair you enough. Know, that that that's what I was thinking too because I was like, man, this is late in the process for him to move. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe he has you know who knows what they're saying within the programs and stuff right now, but. Yeah. Uh, I, it, that's probably at least his thought process, right? Is, is, uh, doing something like that. Yeah. Uh, I just hope he lands on his feet. Cause like we said, he's an exciting player and I, I want to see him have the opportunity at the P5 level to show what he can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like that kid, you know, he, he scores a bunch of points for us in CFF obviously, <laughs> but I can't imagine him, you know, tight end might be the way for him to go, but like he's so injury prone already at, at uh, you know, quarterback and tight end is just such a brutal position. You know, you get your knees chopped out when you're blocking a bunch of the times and you take those big hits over the middle. So uh, I, I'm I'm afraid to see how many games he would play if they did move him to tight end. But, uh, yeah, if he wants to play professionally, he may have to, to move spots. So uh, we'll see. But let's get into this Pac-12 here. I, I'm excited uh, to go over these teams. And, um, Nick, just, uh, just explain again how – uh, projected wins and uh, favored to win and talent edges work uh, just as a refresher for everyone listening. Yeah. And I'll try to be real quick. We went really in depth with it a couple of weeks ago when we did our SEC uh, preview episode, but anytime you hear us say, you know, Oregon is ranked 12th in the country, that, that 
is in reference to our team strength power rating. So that indicates not that we expect them to finish the season ranked 12th in the country in the AP poll or the playoff rankings or anything like that. It's that's where we would put them in our power ratings. We would project uh, Oregon to be favored over everyone except the 11 teams ranked higher than, than them. And, and they're the highest ranked uh, team in the Pac-12. So, you know, we'll, we've got three teams in the top 20 in, in the Pac-12 or, you know, in the SEC, we had, I think, seven teams in the top 20. We certainly don't expect seven teams to, to finish in the top 20 of the, the national rankings. But uh, if we were to put everybody on a neutral field and, you know, pit every single team against each other, uh, the way that we have those rankings are who would be favored against one another on that neutral field. Uh, as far as favored to win, we've gone through and, and put those uh, power ratings uh, into all the schedules, adjusted for uh, home field advantage, which of course might need an additional adjustment when we learn a little bit more later. But we've got projected point spreads for every single game uh, this year, so we can reference, you know, how many games is is a particular team expected to be favored uh, when those official point spreads come out from uh, the odds makers. We've also got talent edges, which uh, strips out that home field advantage and and uh, really only concentrates on our roster strength metrics, and then uh, more specifically recruiting ratings and, and uh, sort of the, you know, we rely pretty heavily on the work that they do at 247 Sports uh, and incorporate, you know, who, who has the most talented team, uh, again, you know, on a neutral field. Uh, and then we, when we calculate all those point spreads, uh, we convert those to a projected win percentage. So if a team has a 67% chance of winning or, you know, 34% chance or, or whatever it is, uh, you can add all of those up and come up with uh, a projected number of wins. So even though a team might be favored in 11 games, if you were to go through that entire schedule, you might only expect them to win, you know, nine or 10. And, and sort of how those uh, percentages add up is, is what we'll be referencing when we're talking about how many teams or excuse me, how many wins a, a particular team is projected to get. Uh, think of it as, you know, if we simulated this season 10,000 times, we would expect, you know, 9.39 wins on average or 6.74 wins on average, that sort of thing. Exactly, exactly. So uh, thank you for laying that out for us once again. And we're going to start out with the Ducks and Oregon being number one in the Pac-12 North and number one in the Pac-12 as far as national ranking goes uh, at, at number 12. So, uh, you know, they're favored to win, go 11 and one, uh, favored to win all their games, except for Ohio state in week two, they got talent edges in 10 of 12 games, uh, and they're projected to win nine, three, nine. And our ranking for them is 10 and two, but the Vegas, uh, insider win total is nine and a half, Nick. So, um, you know, we know Ohio state is most likely a loss, and then is it just kind of who, who's the other loss? Because they open up tough North Dakota State's not a team to, you know, roll your eyes at or anything. Uh, but then it gets fairly easy. Hawaii at Colorado, Washington at Cal, Stanford at Arizona, USC and Arizona State. Yeah, I think if they're going to lose another game, it would probably be, you know, USC or Arizona State. So what, um, you have them dropping another one uh, and, and losing two. I that's I would not be shocked if this team wins eleven games. So, 
you know, nine and a half seems like a pretty good number to gamble on. Yeah, I think I like it. I, I think I would side with the over. Uh, USC, according to our numbers, is, is the you know biggest competition. They do play the Trojans at home. We have Oregon favored by four. Uh, in that case, of course, again, you know, we, we've said it every week so far. If, if there aren't fans in the stands, that number probably is going to change a little bit. And, and yeah. so that might be a little bit closer to a virtual coin flip. We would have uh, USC as a, you know, one and a half point underdog with, without any fans, something like that. Uh, but also, you know, that would give them a, a less uh, likely chance of, of beating Ohio State. Right now we've got them 30%, uh, about a, a little more than 10 and a half point uh, underdog to uh, the Buckeyes playing at home. So, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. If you go and, and, you know, are looking and just, you know, write a W or an L by their name in each game, I think 11 and 1 is probably what you would lean toward, and it would be difficult to find that second loss unless you think USC can get it done, unless you think Washington in a rivalry game can get it done. Uh, but the, just sort of the way that, that these things work is, you know, sometimes it happens when we least expect it. And, and so, you know, you, you calculate it all up and you say, okay, they've got a 70% chance of beating Washington, 60% chance of, of beating USC and, and uh, what, 80% of, of beating, you know, two or three other teams. And somewhere along the line, the opportunities are there to, to have a slip up. So I, I think 10 and 2 seems about right. I, I could see them splitting those games against Washington or USC. I, you know, you're absolutely right that Arizona State on a Friday night, those Friday nights are always uh, a bit yeah. tricky in the Pac-12. And, and you know, the, the good thing is Oregon's schedule really, really sets up nicely. I mean, all these big games, they play them at home. You know, Ohio State, they've got at home. Uh, even Stanford who sometimes can, can give teams uh, unexpectedly, you know, some issues. So uh, all those big games are at home. And, and, you know, in a normal year, that, of course, might mean a little bit more. But Oregon is, is very close. I wouldn't say they're the most talented team in the Pac-12. And our numbers actually don't, don't see them as the most talented team in the Pac-12 quite yet. But they're really closing that gap. Uh, with USC and, and defensively, they are elite. Uh, this is our number two secondary in the country behind only LSU. And, and I know a, a solid argument could be made that Oregon's actually the, the strongest secondary yeah. in the country. Uh, they've got arguably the best player in the country in, in left tackle Pene Sewell. Uh, they've got some change over at the quarterback position. They've got, you know, need to find. Uh, you know, the, who, who is it going to be? Is it going to be Taylor Shuck? Is it going to be Anthony Brown, the transfer from Boston College? Whoever it is, probably going to run a little bit more, as we talked about uh, just a bit ago. But uh, have some holes to fill on the offensive line. You know, they've got Sewell, but he's the only returning starter. Uh, they do have a couple of guys who they were able to redshirt after uh, coming over from junior colleges in the 2019 class. So it's not as young a group as you might expect losing four uh, seniors. But, uh, you know, th th there are some minor holes, some questions that will need to be answered. But this is a team I think that's built to answer those pretty well. I would expect the Joe Moorhead hire to uh, be a, a positive for that offense as a whole. Uh, I think the quarterback, I think they'll be able to find a quarterback. I think the offensive line, I mean, it's still a top 20 unit according yeah. to our, our unit strength ratings. And, and then, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau on, on the defensive side is one of the most exciting pass rushers in college football. The, the defense as a whole is, is 
got a, a great chance to be a top five unit by our talent metrics. It's seventh in the country, but I think that might be underrating it just a little bit. This is this is the team to beat in, in the Pac-12. So I think nine and a half, I, I like the over. I like them to get to 10. And, and like you said, I wouldn't be at all shocked if they go 11 and one. And, you know, in, in a normal season where Austin Stadium's rocking in week two, uh, you know, they, they could beat Ohio State. It, it's possible. I, I certainly don't expect it to happen every time, but, you know, 30%. Only have to happen once. Absolutely. Right. You're right. Absolutely. And they, they definitely have the talent to get that done. It's just they need really good quarterback play right away. And, yeah. and that, that's the big question mark going into that game. But uh, that, that nine and a half numbers, Javier, you taking you going over or under on that? Yeah, I'm going to go over. What, what I really love about their schedule is that for the lack of quarterback play that they have at the quarterback position as far as uh, experience is concerned, by the time that they get to their big games, they've already gotten half a season under their belt. You see USC and Arizona State, the two teams that we kind of highlighted, or the two teams that Nick highlighted, are both in November. Uh, that gives you more than – that gives you over two oh, months. home. Too. Yeah, exactly. To get you acclimated to the offense, to allow for you to maybe even have some down games, uh, but still be able to pull out the win with a very good secondary in uh, Kayvon Thibodeau as a defensive end position. And it just gives you time to get ready to play a big game. Uh, you know, the Ohio State game is going to be a wake up call for them. It's going to we're going to see how good Oregon is off the rip from that game. If Oregon gets waxed by Ohio State at home, it's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth. And that's kind of something that also I think helps them in this schedule is that they get the biggest game of their season kind of out of the way and allows them to focus on purely Pac-12 football after that is over with. You know, they, they go and play Hawaii. So right after maybe losing to Ohio State, they get an opportunity to get their confidence back against a Hawaii team where their defense isn't going to be all that great. I really love their schedule, and I think that they're going to easily – I think they should – roll through most of the Pac-12. Um, I think the only thing that scares me about Oregon is that they typically have a game where they don't show up. And they did it last year versus Arizona State. And then they went and smacked Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. And it really was unfortunate because I thought without losing to Arizona State, they had the easiest route to the college football playoff outside of Clemson. Um, and I really felt like they were going to be a team that could have competed in the playoff last year. I um, mean, I think that if they're able to keep their head on and, and not – slip up to Nick, you said it to like a Stanford or anybody like that. This is a team that easily should finish 11 to one for me. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, just looking at the projected spreads here on the screen, uh, it highly favored and everything. Only Washington uh, is under 10 and USC is under 10. And then they're just over 10 point dogs against Ohio state. So, right. uh, should be a pretty damn good year for Oregon. Washington, on the other hand, there's a lot of turnover here, Nick. You know, obviously, uh, Jimmy Lake has experience, but him uh, taking over there, so new head coach. Uh, they're, they're favored in eight games uh, to go eight and four. The number's eight and a half here. Uh, what, are you, what are you looking at with the Huskies, and are you going over or under that number? So this one, I, I, I think I'm going to lean to the under, and, and pretty much every – every situation where we look at and we, and we build a, a final record for them, it comes out to eight and four overall six and three uh, in conference play. And, and, you know, that's favored in eight games, talented in eight games projected right at eight wins. Uh, so that, that seems 
about right to me. We have him as an underdog in week one against Michigan, even though that game is at home. We have him at a, about a touchdown underdog against Oregon. We actually have them uh, as an underdog against Utah, which might be a surprise to some. Uh, that game is in Salt Lake City, and, and so that's a difficult uh, matchup there in, in the cross-division. Uh, and then another cross-division difficult matchup they play at USC. So Oregon, everything sets up really, really nicely. Schedule-wise, Washington uh, sets up about as poorly as, as you could hope for as far as who you're playing at home and who you're playing away uh, if home field means what it normally means. And, and so uh, in 2020, if, if they're to play this schedule and it's, you know, uh, 15% capacity or uh, no fans in the stands or, or, you know, whatever that is, then those games become closer to pure toss-ups. I mean, that Utah game, if, if we took away our normal two and a half points for home field advantage, Utah would be favored by less than a quarter of a point. Uh, so that that's, you know, 50%, uh, you know, every single time. And, and so uh, that's obviously a winnable game. Uh, USC would be less than a, a field goal uh, favorite. That's certainly a winnable game. Oregon would, you know, that, that pull that down into the five point range, which is certainly uh, winnable. So uh, Washington can beat every team on its schedule it's just got some very, very difficult matchups some really tricky matchups. And, and, you know, Michigan is certainly not unbeatable and, and they're going to be breaking in a new quarterback and, and things like that. But Washington also has quarterback, uh, you know, uh, quarterback situation. They've got probably four guys that have a legitimate shot at winning that job. They just threw in a grad transfer, uh, Kevin Thompson, that we talked about a, a few weeks ago, uh, to compete with Jacob Sermon. True freshman Ethan Garbers, I think, might be uh, a, a decent bet to, you know, be the, the starter at the end of the season. So Washington's got some things to, to figure out offensively. They're not sure necessarily. I mean, Richard Newton seems like the number one running back, but they're probably going to spread that around a little bit. Puka Nakua is probably going to be the top receiver, but, you know, they really do need somebody to, to sort of step up and, and uh, provide some help there. They need some playmakers at, at receiver. They've got a couple of, of experienced starters coming back on the offensive line. But both are changing positions uh, this year and, and, you know, have to work in other guys as well. So offensively, they're really a work in progress. Defensively, they're, they're, you know, doing <laughs> about as well as, as could be expected. I mean, they're, they're going to be uh, the potential to be a top 10 unit statistically, I would say. They've got all Pac-12 level players at every level. Uh, they've got two guys on at the, in the linebacker core that have, have uh, all Pac-12 uh you know, have made those teams in the past. Elijah Molden might be the best nickelback in college football. So they've got a lot of talent. They did a lot of great work under Chris Peterson, closing the talent gap with USC over the past few years. And I think you're absolutely right that, that Jimmy Lake, uh, I think, you know, will provide a little bit of a spark. I think that uh, maybe eventually they might have an opportunity to, to be even better recruited a little bit higher level, uh, bring a little bit, you know, higher caliber player uh, to, to possibly even contend with Oregon and USC long-term to, to bring in the most talent in this league. But uh, there's, there's sort of a, a, you know, so many questions on offense, it's going to be difficult for, I think, this defense to, to really carry Washington to, you know, nine or 10 wins. So I think eight seems, seems feasible. I mean, this is a team that uh, played a lot better 
than their final record last year. So I yep. wouldn't be surprised if, if maybe that evens out a little bit and they get a couple of breaks they didn't get last year. I mean, they were a top 20 team according to our team performance ratings, but uh, you know, didn't didn't look like a top 25 team most most of weeks and drops some games that they probably shouldn't have. So uh, uh, similarly, I, you know, I think this team might play a little bit worse week to week just because of those questions on offense. But I think that a similar record, eight wins, uh, is certainly, you know, probably the most likely outcome. It wouldn't shock me if they get to nine, but uh, that would that would probably take, you know, a, a decent upset. Uh, so I think they'll take care of business in the eight they're supposed to win, but uh, I'm not sure that that they'll be able to pick off one of those four uh, that we've got them as underdogs. So so under on Washington for you, Xavier, what are you thinking on the Huskies? You going that number's eight and a half, but like Nick mentioned, the schedule just doesn't add up to be favorable for them. It really doesn't. Um, uh, I don't know. This is tough because <laughs> I, I don't know – who I want to pick between them and Stanford. Um, when I look at the overall talent edge, obviously Stanford has that. Um, I don't trust Stanford after last year. Uh, Stanford let us all down a lot as college football fans last year. And I don't know if they're going to bounce exactly back as we expect them to. Um, I'm actually going to go over. I think that they can get nine wins. I think they can beat Stanford. Um, after I think they're going to make a, a bit of a run here. I, I think they can lose to Oregon. They can start off 2-2 two and two after losing to Oregon and Michigan. And I think they can go on a bit of a run uh, before the Stanford game and get their confidence um, and get ready for a, a tough Stanford team that's going to probably be at that part of the year, as we'll get to them in just a second. They'll probably be playing some of the best football that they should be playing all year. Uh, the schedule is not favorable for them, but Nick hit it right on the head. If there's no fans, I honestly think that that's going to take a lot of the, yeah. the pressure out of away games. Uh, it, it's going to be one of those situations where without fans – the nerves, the jitters, all of that is still going to be there, but it's not going to be heightened as much when you have, you know, a bunch of screaming people telling you you suck from literally like 15 feet behind you on the bench and, and, and you know, a couple of yards away from you in the stands where you're on the field. It's a lot different when you can't hear your snap count and there's all these other, you know, things that you have to go through when you have uh, away fans. And if that's not there, I think games like Stanford away, and, and or sorry, excuse me, not Stanford away, but Washington, uh, USC away, and games like that, and even Utah away are completely different. And I think the talent is going to matter more because the fan bases aren't there. Uh, with that being said, I think they could get to nine wins. I, I really think they can get there. Uh, Ten is a big stretch, but I'm going to go over. I'm going to go with nine. You got to talk them down and then take the over. I, I see how you are. I see how it's going here. Uh, I'm going to take the under. I do the opposite, I think. I talk him up and then take the under. <laughs> I'm going to take the under, too. Nick mentioned the uh, the roughness of the schedule. It's not a great one. And Xavier mentioned the other big part of that is Washington has such a great home field advantage. If there's not going to be stand, uh, fans in the stands this year, that is going to significantly hurt them. Plus, uh, you know, new head coach, new starting quarterback this year as well. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take the under. It's just too much pressure with the schedule that they have now going over to Stanford uh, who we've got favored uh, in eight of 12 games, six and three in the conference uh, talent edges in nine and they're ranked 38 in the country for us. Uh, but the projected wins 6.74. So, you know, that's seven and five, the Vegas numbers five and a half though. And uh, obviously it's because of just the horrific season that they had last year, Nick, uh, but but that number is really, really low for a Stanford team that 
you know, say what you will about last year, and you know, Xavier is right. They did absolutely let everybody down, but this looks uh, fairly. This looks like a pretty damn good bet, right? <laughs> well, I, I I hesitate because yeah, Stanford was was probably uh, the biggest miss last year, and and uh, that talent's still there though. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, t- what's that? No, I was just saying the talent being there makes it worse. <laughs> right, yeah, because I don't know if I can yeah. trust it. So, so it's 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 tricky. I I am gun shy to you know I'm hesitant to say like yes the over and, and that's too low and all that. But I, I do I think it is. I mean I think I just have to have to sort of suck it up and, and trust what I learned last year and you know the the experience with Stanford. If if you didn't listen to us this time last year, I mean Stanford was a team that we had. Ta- you know, talent edges in I think all 12 games, uh, favored in 11. I think their projected wins was, you know, a nine, something like that. But obviously injuries were a, a huge issue last year. And, and you know, there are some whispers, some rumblings, some behind the scenes things that maybe things aren't as, uh, a- as you know, strong there as they've been in the past. And, and, you know, depth was certainly an issue. They've got high-end talent, but uh, you know they they don't have the the depth that a uh, Oregon or or even a you know USC who, who was ravaged by injuries as well last year but was a little bit able you know built a little bit uh, stronger deeper to to be able to overcome some of the injuries that they have Stanford was decimated on the offensive line and and you know they were they were I think down three uh, starters by what week two or, or something like that. Uh, and, and it was an issue for them all year. Uh, quarterback, obviously KJ Costello missed a big portion of the year and, and he is gone. Uh, but I think, I, you know, I like Davis Mills. I think he's going to be uh, just as good, if not better as, as what we would have expected uh, KJ Costello to be. There's talent in the, the running back core. I mean, Austin Jones was a, a you know, 95 rated guy coming out of uh, high school, according to 247 Sports. They had EJ Smith, uh, who, who very similarly rated uh, Emmett Smith, of course, his, his son. Uh, they, you know, they've got some experience there, too. They've got uh, some talent at, at receiver. I mean, you know, Connor Weddington, Michael Wilson, Osiris St. Brown, those guys were all starters last year. Simi Fahoko, who uh, actually hasn't started the game, but we have him penciled in as, as taking one of those top three spots because he was one of the most explosive receivers in, in the Pac-12 last year. And, uh, you know, from a, a yards per catch uh, uh situation is is you know one of the best in college football 6'4 220 you know he he's the type of receiver that they felt like they were were missing coming into last year when JJ Ortega Whiteside was was uh off to the NFL so if they're able to stay a little bit healthier on the offensive line you know I think that that hopefully they'll be able to to fix the running game first and foremost but but secondly I think they're built decently well to, to be able to throw the football. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that the offense is going to have an opportunity to, to take a pretty big uh, step forward. They were slightly below average, according to our team performance ratings from the FBS level, but they were a, a major disappointment uh, overall. Defensively, I mean, they, they've got experience. And, and Paulson mm-hmm. Adebo is somebody uh, as a corner who has been, you know, in the conversation in the past as, as an All-American, has been in the conversation as a, a pretty high uh, potential draft pick. But he really struggled as well. I mean, not uh, too long ago, I, I rewatched 
uh, Stanford and, and UCF, and, and he was embarrassed a few times. I mean, UCF just uh, just ran past you know Stanford corners for for a big part of that game, and and you know they've had some guys walk away. Uh, uh, two starters uh, from last year's defensive line have transferred. Uh, some guys that had eligibility decided to retire. Uh, Andrew Perch, the linebacker, being one of those. So, you know, you got three guys with, with eligibility who were starters, uh, four if you count Costello, uh, who, who decided to move on and, and, and play elsewhere. That makes you a, a little bit nervous. I mean, and they had a couple of offensive linemen as well, three guys probably that, that could have pushed for, for starting jobs. So you wonder, you know, what's really going on with, with all these transfers. Uh, you wonder a little bit because they have some changes in the strength and conditioning program. You wonder a little bit because there are these really highly rated guys. Who, some of them haven't lived up to that potential, but then behind them, there's not a ton of depth either. So right. there's a lot of questions with Stanford. If, if everything clicks, this is a team, quite honestly <laughs> – that I think could compete for maybe, you know, second place in the North. I would, it would be very, very difficult for them to beat Oregon, but (laughs) uh, you know, they've got the talent to beat everybody on their schedule. They're a two touchdown underdog according to our numbers against Oregon, but you know, Stanford could on the right day, knock off the ducks. I, I don't know that they would be able to get through everybody else unscathed and, and win the North, but uh, you know, especially with playing USC and, and, you know, some other very difficult matchups as well, but they're a tricky team and they're not the only one in the PAC 12 that, that, you know, there's a wide range of, of possibilities to how it could shake out. But I think however it shakes out, it's going to be for more than five and a half wins. I think they get back to a bowl game. I think six, is a good bet, and I think seven is is relatively likely. They would still underachieve. You know, they would lose as an underdog, according to our numbers. They would lose twice with the more talented team and still get to the over. So I, I think that makes sense. I, I just sort of have to have to say uh, that they're going to get there. Yeah, Xavier, Z- are you going to hedge as much as Nick just did, or uh, are, are you? <laughs> that was a strong what, what you... endorsement. That was a it, was it. it? It was a firm over. It was a with a, with a whole lot of reasons from... for how it could go sideways. Their best player got toasted by UCF last year. Yeah, that's a very strong endorsement by you. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it went. It, it was a winding snake road to get to a strong endorsement. It often is. And I understand the trepidation because this is out of all the teams that have hosed you, Stanford was the one last year. You know what I mean? And, and we've all had that. We've all gotten beat up by. Uh, teams or players or predictions or, or any of that stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I remember I thought Akram Wadley was going to be a great NFL running back and, you know, nope, he's not, he wasn't even in the XFL. So, uh, that happens and stuff, but Xavier, your thoughts on, uh, cause I easy over here. Like yeah. I, I, I trusted <laughs> the town edges. I in Stanford has been, uh, Shaw has been great there for a long time. I expect to bounce back very quickly from Stanford. So uh, your thoughts on Stanford this year, and you got to take that over, right? It's just too, it, it's too easy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's way too easy for me. Uh, I, I'm going over. They'll be in the bowl game next year. Um, challenging for the second place in the North is a stretch, but to think that this team can't get back to a bowl game after what was an abysmal last season uh, is it, it, really hard for me to see. They have the talent edge in every game, but Notre Dame, Oregon and USC, I think a push against Washington. And then you look at the rest of your schedule and you go, 
they can beat every other team on that schedule. They should beat every other team on that schedule. And I know we said that a lot of, uh, last year about Stanford, uh, which is the only thing that worries me. But I, I think Shaw's going get to get it right. I, I think that he's going to right the ship. This is a guy who I have a ton of confidence in as far as making sure that his program is going to be put in the right place. Now, aside from him, I'm, I won't lie. I do like Davis Mills, but that offense worries me. Uh, but Stanford's offense has always worried me. Honestly, uh, I think they've always been a little bit too reliant on their running game. Uh, Bryce Love and Chris McCaffrey obviously come to name. And it, I think it showed itself last year where they couldn't get the run game started. And KJ Costello was being pushed around in the pocket that they very much struggled last year yeah. to create any kind of explosiveness. And this has always been a team to me that down by a lot is not Stanford's way of playing football. I've always said Stanford and Michigan State kind of remind me of one another because they need to stay in games to win games. Uh, and they need to stay, keep it close at all times, even if they're winning. Uh, you know, and I think that when you look at this Stanford team, it's going to be a matter of whether or not their offense can be productive enough. Uh, their defense is one that I think secondary-wise is going to be fine this year. I think Paulson Debo will bounce back from last year. This is a too talented of a kid to have back-to-back -back bad seasons. And I think their secondary will be fine. But if their offense cannot produce like it did last year and like it has done in the past and it's been stagnant at times, then they're going to struggle throughout the year. But to not take them with five and a half being their projected win total is ridiculous. So I'm going to go over. Yeah, yeah. It's an easy over for me. And, you know, it, it was a ringing endorsement from Nick. It was just <laughs> uh, we, we understand that, that Stanford – uh, hosed us last year, and I just I trust in Shaw and, and yeah, Mills, exactly. one of the highest recruited quarterbacks uh, ever, uh, and that's with Andrew Luck too. You know, I don't think he was higher than Luck, but uh, he was very very highly recruited, and I, I expect a lot out of him. I just think this year is going to be better, uh, and you know, I and let me ask you this, Nick, just in overall town edges, do you think that's going to mean more this year because of the mispractice time? And, and things like that, because um, I think it probably should, right? I, I think that's a, a really good question, and, and I lean to yes on that. I, I think, you know, there's so much that goes into projecting, uh, you know, who should win and, and things like that. And, you know, if home field advantage is uh, uh, not as, as big of a deal this year, then, you know, what's left? Who, who's the most talented team? And, you know, that that's certainly a big part of it. But then also, you know, coaching is part of that, too. Who schemes up better? Who has used this time to, uh, you know, dissect their opponents maybe a little bit better? Who found, you know, sort of the, the secret uh, ingredient that, that they had missed just because they had all this time to, uh, to go and, and find it? So there, there's a lot of unknown, but I think that, yeah, I, I think if we're going to count on something, talent makes the most sense is, is probably the most likely to, to win out. Now, moving over here to Washington State, uh, you know, ranked uh, fourth in the North, but 47 overall, still a really good, talented team here. Obviously, new head coach Nick Rolovich coming over from Hawaii. Um, you know, we got them favored uh, in eight games of 12, but only talent edges in three games. Uh, mm -hmm. Projected to win uh, six, so six and six is our projected record, and the Vegas number is also six. Nick, in most cases, when the predicted wins match the Vegas number, we're going to go under on those. So I think I'm going to stick with the under on Washington State. You know, the, the system isn't going to change a ton, but it is going to change. So uh, I, I'm just in a weird offseason. 
I'm not going to mess with this too much. So I'm I'm going to say that uh, I'm going to take the under for Rolovich and the Cougars this year. What, what are you thinking on Washington State? I think so. I, I think that that is probably the safest play. I mean, go, going with uh, expecting a team to uh, – you know, take care of every everything they're supposed to win every game that they're projected to win uh, with a, a new coaching staff and a, and a first you know first year head coach is is difficult. Uh, Washington State, as you mentioned, not the most talented team. In fact, in in the majority of their games, are, are going to be at a disadvantage as far as our our talent metrics go. I think that this team is set up you know, really quite well for Nick Rolovich to, to take over. We've talked about it in the past, how, you know, the, the personnel that Mike Leach wanted for uh, his version of the air raid should fit in pretty nicely with what we expect uh, Rolovich and, and Brian Smith will bring in with uh, what we think is going to be the run and shoot. There's probably going to be a, a hybrid of some sort so that they can get uh, running back Max Borgie more involved than, you know, perhaps some uh, Hawaii running backs have been, in the past and in that system. So uh, offensively, I, I think they're going to be fine as long as they can figure out the quarterback situation. They've got three guys that are, are probably going to challenge for that. None of which are very highly rated according to our numbers because they're, you know, three-star type guys have no experience. None of them have, have uh, you know, seen the field at all really. Uh, and, and they're all pretty young. I mean, probably the, the favorite at this point who, who might have, in my opinion, just slightly over a 50% chance of winning the job is Cameron Cooper. He's a sophomore. Uh, Gunnar Cruz is going to be in the mix. He's a retro freshman. But I think the guy probably to, to keep an eye on is, is Jaden Delora, uh, who is from Hawaii, who did play in a run and shoot offense at St. Louis High School in Honolulu, who, who you know had a relationship with Rolovich before uh, he took the job at, at Washington State, which is a you know kind of rare for somebody taking over uh, for a, a you know a a uh, new situation as a head coach to get, you know, that, that uh, true freshman quarterback to, to have that relationship uh, is, is somewhat rare. And, and so I think that that's a, uh, certainly a, a positive sign. And I think that the, his familiarity with that system, because it is unique. I mean, it's, I compared it in a lot of ways to the triple option because there are, you know, certain things that you do, you just kind of have to drill it. You kind of have to work wide receivers have a, a unique role with option routes and, and things like that. Quarterbacks have to make, you know, quick decisions based on that and, and have to keep everybody on the same page. So there's a, a learning curve with it, but it's also a system that, you know, once you get uh, indoctrinated in it can, can, you know, get up and, and running quickly and, and it can really uh, be, you know, it could be an excellent fit. This could be a, a pretty smooth transition if these receivers, and, and there are some uh, guys who have experience and there are some guys who are uh, good players. I mean, Tay Martin, Renard Bell are, are starters uh, who've, you know, played a, a lot of football and have, have been productive, caught a lot of passes in the past. They're getting guys like Travell Harris, Calvin Jackson, Jameer Jordan, those guys back uh, who have experience who, uh, you know, some of them were hurt. One of them took a, a red shirt last year. And so, you know, there, there's, there's depth there. There, there's, you know, this is going to be the most talented team that Rolovich has had. And, and certainly at that position, I think. So I think they're set up really well offensively. They've got some work to do defensively, but I think that they made a, a really smart hire. Hawaii was not good defensively. So, you know, brought over pretty much the entire 
uh, offensive coaching staff, but went and, and uh, plucked the defensive coordinator from Wyoming and, and brought him to Washington State. And, and Wyoming was a team that uh, was very, very solid uh, defensively, gave a lot of people some problems. They only ranked, you know, in the, in the 50s as far as our defensive team performance. But uh, I, I think if you were to watch Wyoming play, and I know Xavier got an up-close uh, look at, at Wyoming defensively last year, and, and yeah. they they could shut teams down and, and even some, some fairly high-powered teams. So I think schematically – uh, they've made some some good choices in, in the coaching staff and the defense at least does have experience. They've got multiple starters returning on the defensive line, multiple starters at uh, linebacker, a couple of starters uh, in the secondary as well, including one, Daniel Isom, who uh, was kicked off the team late last year, but was welcomed back by uh, the new staff this spring. So, uh, you know, experience is, is on Washington State's side, and, and I think that that's part of why our numbers – maybe like them a little bit more than, than we would have otherwise expected. But a lot of the games that they're favored in are, are more or less toss-ups, are one-possession yeah. games. Houston, you know, that, that game, Houston's a talented team, one of the most talented G5 teams. Uh, and, and so that's going to be difficult. They're, they're a favorite, but less than a touchdown. They're favored over Oregon State, less than a touchdown. Cal, less than a touchdown. You know, Stanford on the opposite end, they're an underdog but less than a touchdown. They could beat Stanford. So there are a lot of games in in Arizona State, Colorado, UCLA, and Washington. Those are all one-possession projected games. And, you know, you might split those if you're Washington State. You could win every single one of them, but chances are you're you're not going to. So uh, it's really going to be, you know, uh, difficult to project Washington State. Usually they get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt they, they have in years past with Mike Leach. It's it's more difficult to do that with a first-year head coach. So I, I do have to, I think, lean toward the under. I, I think six wins uh, is the right number. But if but if I were to, to you force me to choose a side, uh, I, I'm going to probably uh, go with, with under and, and think that maybe that road is a little too difficult too many toss-up games to expect them to, to get to seven. I think five wins is, is the more likely, but I think six sounds about right. Yeah, and Xavier, I'm totally with Nick on, you know, these the great, great point here of these being toss-up games. You know, I mentioned uh, before with Washington being favored by double digits in a lot of their games, Washington mm-hmm. State just isn't, you know, uh, even against Utah State, they're favored by less than 10. Houston, they're favored by less than five. Right. Uh, same thing with Oregon State's not a great team. They're, uh, you know, less than a touchdown favorite against them, less than a touchdown favorite against Cal. And, and some some of the tougher games are not big spreads. Uh, Utah, they're, uh, you know, only over a touchdown dog, just barely. So uh, it seems like it could go kind of either way for Washington State this year. But I think with a new head coach and a limited offseason, I'm definitely taking the under. What are your thoughts? Uh, this is a tough one. Um, Did we convince you? I, I feel like you were going to say over. You yeah, like giving out I, overs. It's it's more fun to say over, too. You know, yeah, yeah. Who wants to play the under? Nobody wants to play the under, but I think you got to be realistic <laughs> on some of them. Yeah, exactly. And that's really where it came out for me is, 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 is as Nick went through kind of everything about, you know, you know, the, the team, it really made me side with the under, you know, I, I think, yeah, I have to go under. Cause I, I don't think we're going to get seven wins out of them. Um, I think this is a team that's going to really struggle in year one. 
uh, with a head coach, with a new head coach, a brand new quarterback. And I think this is going to be one of those years where I think for CFF people, I think this is going to be a year where Max Borgie goes ridiculous, has stupid numbers, and Washington State still wins like four games. Um, I think that he will probably be the focal point of the offense and that'll work against you know, a, a small percentage of the team that they play this year. But overall, I don't think they're going to be able to produce enough to, to push themselves past six wins. Uh, you know, I like the Nick Rolovich hire. I thought that they had to stay kind of in the the, the, the run-and-shoot, air-raid type style uh, to have any kind of success. Uh, I just don't think in this weird year that we're in and when you've had, not had enough time to practice this system that you're going to have a cohesive unit weeks one through three or one through four. I mean, I think that's going to take a while for them to ingratiate themselves. And it's not really a good schedule for them to have to do that in when, you know, you, you start off your season with Utah State, which should be a win, but it's not guaranteed. And, and then you see Houston right away and then you get right into Pac-12 play. It's not really a favorable schedule for them to kind of learn the offense on the fly as they're going to be asked to do this year. Now, moving down to the bottom two uh, here in the north, we've got Cal. Well, ranked 51 overall, and Oregon State ranked 83 overall. A favored a Cal favored in four, uh, Oregon State only favored in three, and projected win totals of Cal at five and seven, and Oregon State at four and eight. Uh, Vegas has Cal at seven, so it looks like that might be one of the best bets so far to go under. And Oregon State at five and a half, pretty significant uh, as well uh, for us taking the under now. A lot of these numbers um, from Vegas is because you want to take the over. Most people want to play the over. And, uh, you know, and uh, the old saying goes, life's too short to bet the under. But <laughs> under is where the money's made a lot of the times here, Nick. So uh, Cal and Oregon State, let's start out with Cal and get your thoughts there and then move on to Oregon State for us. Yeah, but both of these teams are, are really, really interesting to me. And, and one, there's one that I feel really – confident in our number and there's one that I really don't and, and I'm afraid so last year Stanford was a team that bit us uh, on the high end Virginia was a team that bit us on on the low end and, and you know a lot of the general consensus you know preseason magazines and, and things like that that uh, look at maybe slightly different things than than we do uh, were high on Virginia thought that okay this is the team to beat in the division and uh you know it, it it makes sense i get it cal has a, a a similar thought you know or people seem to have a similar thought about cal that you know looking at them this team is well coached this team plays really hard they're always in the game they they rise above their recruiting ratings and, and things like that and, and i i get it i understand that i understand that chase garber's you know, Cal was a different team with Chase Garbers was on the field last year. When he was injured, they they could not move the football. Uh, when he was in, you know, they, they still struggled at times, but he gave them a chance because he can run a little bit and, and he's a much, much, much better uh, passer than, than uh, Devin Modster or, or Spencer Brash, the other guys that, that they would have to turn to with him sidelined. Christopher Brown is, is a good running back. Their experience at the offensive line, the offensive line, uh, did not grade very well, according to our numbers. They were in the 100s uh, in our offensive line performance ratings last year. But this has been a very, very strong defensive team. And, and so that's really carried them. But, you know, I, I I get that Cal maybe had some momentum last year. And, and you know, I've heard from people who are 
you know, pay more attention to the Pac-12 on a, a day-to-day basis than I do, who earlier in the, the you know, preseason or, or offseason, there were some conversations of, okay, Cal versus Arizona State. And, you know, I heard a, a couple of voices say, okay, well, if you've got Cal ranked lower than Arizona State, you're just not paying enough attention. And, and maybe I'm just not paying enough enough attention, mm-hmm. but but I don't I don't really see it. I mean, Cal in, in the numbers that we pay the most attention to, and they are based in recruiting. And yes, I get it. Cal has a a, a way of overachieving, or, or you know, at least has that potential. Uh, I just don't think it adds up. I, I get that Garbers is good, and Cal is much better with Garbers. I get that the offense is experienced, but. You know, Xavier has, has some sayings about that, that, you know, even though a team is experienced doesn't always mean that, that they're good. And that offensive line is a major concern <laughs> for me. Defensively, they were strong last year, but they lost arguably their three best players, three guys that got drafted. Evan Weaver, a linebacker, Ashton Davis, one of the fastest players in college football, return man and safety, and, and then Jalen Hawkins as well, current Atlanta Falcon. Uh, you know, th- those were talented guys to lose arguably the three best guys on defense. Now I'm a little bit worried. And, and you know, the defense was good, but it wasn't perfect either. I just got done watching uh, USC, and, and I know a lot of the thought was, well, Ethan Garber or Chase Garbers uh, was hurt. That was part of why USC blew him out. Well, you know, uh, Ethan Garbers didn't play – or Chase Garbers didn't play defense. And, and USC <laughs> and, and Keem Slovis just absolutely – dissected that defense, which was supposed to be one of the best defenses in the country last year. You take that unit that is good, but far from perfect and and not, you know, super talented uh, compared at least in a number standpoint to, to some of these other uh, offenses that they're going to be going up against. And, and I've got concerns about Cal. So uh, I, I don't love it because they do remind me a little of Virginia last year. Maybe our numbers just aren't capturing how good they are, but I, I, I have to side with the under, sort of hold my breath and, and take the under. Oregon State, I feel a lot more comfortable about. I, uh, similarly, people are, are excited a little bit about the momentum Oregon State had last year. They were very close to qualifying for a bowl, and they've got some good players, I mean, especially on offense. And then, you know, defensively, defensively, Hamilcar Rashad was one of the most productive, you know, from a tackles for loss and, and sack standpoint, one of those productive players in college football last year. But – Oregon State, I think, overachieved a little bit from a one-loss record, you know, similarly kind of the opposite of of Washington. So I think that this team could be as good, potentially better from, you know, team performance rating standpoint, but finish with a worse record. Uh, So I I feel pretty good about the under for Oregon State. I don't really see them, you know, winning too many toss-up games, and and we do have them as – even a slight underdog, but underdog against, you know, a UCLA, against a Cal, against Washington State. That Colorado State game is going to be tough. And, and you know, Oregon State can't really uh, afford to lose a game that it's supposed to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm and a little bit worried. Dogs in a lot of games. They are. I mean, we're, we're talking two, three touchdowns against, you know, the heavy hitters in, in this conference, the, the upper division or, uh, you know, uh, top – 50 level type team. So I feel much, much better about Oregon state. I, I get that people think they took a step forward last year. They'll take another step forward this year, but I don't think uh, that the odds are, are in their favor to, to, you know, get over the hump and get to bull eligibility. So I do like Oregon state under 
Cal a little less so, but but I have to side with the under. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on Cal and Oregon State? So actually, I was gonna go reverse of Nick. Uh, I, I I don't know. I have this strange affinity to to Cal this year. That I, I really think that their defense will improve. Uh, I think the defense was a large part of the problem last year. Um, and obviously, Chase Garber's being healthy the whole year will give them a boost offensively. Uh, I just – that seven win total worries me. Um, if it was six, I'd be over all the way. Um, but to think that they could get to eight wins um, in the Pac-12 this year with the, the depth of the Pac-12, um, as we kind of hit it on the head for the North, kind of worries me. Uh, and I've, I've also, their non-conference schedule isn't a cakewalk. TCU's not going to be somewhere you just go into and – or. Uh, and you just beat TCU. Um, yes, they play Cal Poly, so that should be a W. But UNLV, although you know we just talked about Armani Rogers leaving, it's not going to be a cakewalk to start the year either. Um, and that one is a way as well. And so when I look at Cal, man, <laughs> uh, these are tough, man, because you know that that's why the total is seven because people have confidence in Cal and Cal historically. Uh, they win some upset, upset games. Remember, they went on the road and beat Mississippi State last year. Right. Uh, you know, that they, they historically have some upset wins, but does that mean they're going to get to seven? I don't think so. And so you know I, I'm taking I, the under. I went under with Washington State, so I'm going to go over with Cal. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. And Chase Garbers, we trust, I guess, this year. Uh, and I don't know if I'm too confident in that saying either. Uh, but uh, I, I think I'm going to go with Cal. Going over and with Oregon State, I don't know what the hype is. I get it; they played well down the stretch last year, but if I'm not mistaken, they weren't playing the cream of the crop in the Pac-12. Uh, they, they finished five and seven. You got to, yes, you can talk about the four wins they got down the stretch last year, but you have to talk about the seven losses that they also endured last season as well. Uh, and I don't, I'm not ready to make that exclamation that Oregon State's going to be a team that makes bowl games consistently just yet. Uh, so I'm going to go with the under. Uh, I think they're going to be around four and a half, uh, five is where I would be more comfortable with them at. So I'm going to go under Oregon State. All right. Well, we're moving over to the south, and we've got USC coming up as number one in the south, uh, number two in the conference, 17 ranked overall, favored uh, in nine of 12 games. Talent edges in 11, and our predicted record is nine and three with a Vegas number of eight. So if you're doing the math right, seems like a pretty easy over. But uh, what are your thoughts on USC and taking the over on them this year, Nick? I'm, I'm going to lean to the over. Uh, and I know USC is, is a team that is always in danger of being sort of overhyped. Uh, I think in some ways this year they might be a, a tiny bit underrated. And, and their schedule you. is very, very difficult. So there are no, you know, they cannot slip up. They're going to be underdogs against Alabama. They're going to be underdogs against Oregon. And, and we've got them as a three-and-a-half-point underdog against Notre Dame. Things at the end of the year, you know, a lot can change between now and then. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we could expect them to be uh, an underdog in, in that game as well. And that means to get to nine, they've got to beat everybody else. And the trickiest game, uh, in my opinion at least, is that Friday game at Utah. And we're going to talk about Utah in a second being one of the youngest teams in college football and losing so much uh, production from last year. But that's a very, very tricky, you know, 
in a normal circumstance, very tricky place to play on a Friday night. It's always difficult. And, you know, Utah is, is uh, always tough to beat regardless of, of, you know, level of experience and, and things like that. So, you know, we've got that as a, as a toss up. I mean, USC, Would you say that Utah is everything that uh, Xavier thinks Cal is. <laughs> it's interesting because wow. <laughs> I, I, I think people are, are kind of thinking Cal could be, maybe last year's Utah where everything sort of lines up and this is a team that, that could compete. But I, I think Utah, just the, the track record is a little bit more proven. So as we'll, as we'll discuss when we, when we get to Utah, our numbers really like them almost a little too much. They might be this year's uh, Stanford, <laughs> but uh, I think USC can, can get there. I think Keaton Slovis is the real deal. I mean, he came basically out of, nowhere as far as most of the, the college football viewing uh, world was concerned last year, started 11 games, you know, uh, scouts love him. PFF thinks he's the, the uh, most accurate passer in, in the country. If you could build your perfect quarterback, you'd take uh, Keaton Slovis from an accuracy standpoint, the receiving core, even with Michael Pittman gone is one of the best in all of college football. They're fifth in our rankings. And I think that might be a, a tiny bit low. I mean, the, the talent is, is there. And I know, you know, uh, listeners, I'm sure uh, certain listeners will be saying, you know, but we always say they're the most talented, most talented. Well, this year they're, they're also one of the most experienced. And, and mm-hmm. last year, I mean, if you're looking at our, our team profile, there's orange all over the place from where we color code guys who were injured last year. And, you know, we, we've got notes there of, of, you know, this guy's out for the bowl. This guy was out all year. You know, this guy was going to be out in the spring. And, and so, you know, there, there are reasons why this team underachieved a little bit last year. Injuries had something to do with that. I know Clay Helton gets a lot of heat, but I think that this team is experienced enough and, and is, in fact, talented enough uh, to get to nine wins the margin of error is is tiny they probably need to you know that they might have to endure an upset at a place like utah but i think they do have what it takes to pull off an upset of a, an oregon or, or a notre dame so i think it's going to work out that they get to nine uh but it, it's going to be difficult but i do think this is the team to beat this out yeah not the most favorable schedules of year but uh you know usc for a couple of years, it was kind of, you know, they were almost like Texas. You know what I mean? Like, are they going to fall off for a while here? But it seems uh-huh. like Slovis really, uh, you know, reinvigorated this offense and got them back on track last year. And they look like a really, really good squad. You know, the Bama game, obviously week one is going to be tough. Uh, Oregon and Notre Dame, also tough games. But they're favored everywhere else. Obviously, like Nick said, Utah, another tough game. But everything else they're favored by, the only other game that they're not favored by at least a touchdown is against uh, Washington. So, and they're home uh, for that game too. So, uh, USC looks pretty strong. Are you going to go over or under that eight number or nine number? Excuse me. No, eight number. It is. It's eight, eight number. I was like, I was like, if it's not, I'm going under. <laughs> yeah, um, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, I'm going over. Uh, I'm going big over. Um, I think that this is a team that is poised to finally bring USC back to what we thought they should have been for the last couple of years. Uh, I think they'll get beat by Alabama, but I, I don't know how big of a gap that game will actually be. Because, uh, like I said in the SEC episode, I don't trust either one of their quarterbacks um, at Alabama at the moment. Uh, but when I look at the rest of their schedule, I look at a team that should get the job done in every game but Oregon. 
uh, and possibly Notre Dame. But that Notre Dame game is going to be weird for me. It's the end of the year. Uh, by that time, I think we'll be seeing the best of both teams as long as injuries are taken out of the equation. And I think that USC has a chance of being at home. Uh, this is a Notre Dame team that will drop uh, against uh, bad teams. I mean, they lost to Michigan last year in an ugly game in Ann Arbor, but they got waxed by Michigan last year. Uh, and I'm not so sure, you know, USC can't do the same. I think that they can get to 10 wins um, because of how their schedule kind of plays out. They, they get their big games kind of far apart from one another. So Alabama is the first game of the season. Then you get Oregon all the way in November. Um, we talked about Utah, but Utah is the beginning of October. Uh, so you get a month between Utah and Oregon as your two biggest games. And then you get almost another whole month to then get prepared for Notre Dame at the end of November as well. That plays into a lot of the ability to get confidence in between big games when they're not getting hit with back-to-back-to-back-to-back competitive opponents. Um, it allows you to really get ready to go. Um, and I think that this is a team that can go to 10 wins. Uh, so I'm going to have USC going over. I love Keaton Slovis. Um, I think they're going to miss the receivers like Michael Pittman. But I also think that Tyler Vaughns and Amon Ross St. Brown are going to have ridiculously good seasons. I think they're both going to be 1,000-yard receivers this year. Uh, and I think that they're going to have a really explosive offense, kind of what we saw last year when they played Utah. I think that's going to be somewhat consistent, where it's kind of just throw it up and go get it, guys. Um, I think USC is going to be really good this year and uh, have a chance to compete uh, for the Pac-12. So I would have got them at 10-2. And there's only one, to me, there's only one guaranteed loss, and that is the open against mm -hmm. Bama. Yeah. And the rest of them are all winnable for the talent level that USC carries on that roster. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go over two in fairly easy. So yes. uh, I, I like that. We're all in agreement there. I like that one. Uh, Utah just uh, one spot below USC ranked 18 Overall, second in the South, third in the Pac-12. Favored to win 11-1. Uh, and one. Talent edges in 8 of 12. Uh, projected wins 9.3. Obviously, we have them at 9-3. and three. Uh, The total is 8.5 here, Nick. So what are you thinking on the Utes for this year? I am scared to death about <laughs> it, but, but I'm going over uh, Utah. Our numbers really, really like Utah. And, and, and it's, it's the things that we try to quantify that quite honestly, you just can't things like coaching and, and, you know, stuff like that, that we know, we know there's something going on. We know Utah has a strong track record for developing guys, you know, finding hidden gems and, and getting them to, you know, NFL type players. And, and they were able to pluck a couple of really, really talented guys and groom them over you know, three, four years, guys like Tyler Huntley, a quarterback, Zach Moss, who, you know, was drafted in the third round. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys drafted off of uh, their defense last year. A couple of them who, who left early, the secondary is completely decimated. The defensive line is, is, you know, <laughs> almost starting over. So uh, there's holes everywhere. I get it. And, and uh, you know, we also know that there's a little bit of off the field stuff that's, uh, maybe not as as good as we thought it was when Morgan Scaley got, uh, you know, had his issues that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, who is ranked as our sixth uh, best defensive coordinator in the country. And and so, you know, perhaps if he's lost uh, the respect of, of his players, that could certainly uh, come out, you know, especially if it's, it's a much uh, younger and maybe more immature group this year compared to, to last. So, you know, perhaps we're relying on numbers that, are, are on shaky ground to begin with. And, and I'll admit that that could certainly be an issue, but 
the, you know, our numbers come from a track record. This is a team that has put up consistently very, very solid defensive team performance ratings and, and overall team performance ratings higher than their roster strength ratings. And, and so, you know, I, I hate to, to rely on a team that's got so many questions, but our numbers like them and the schedule sets up pretty well. I mean, USC yeah. is a, a, a virtual toss up 50%. They're a, you know, less than 0.2 points underdog. And, and I think that number just flipped earlier today when I made a slight adjustment, it was, you know, 0.1 points the other way. Uh, and, and, you know, they've got a really, really close game against Washington, but it's at home. Like, like USC is at home. Uh, they, they've got Arizona state, on the road, but, you know, a, a slight favorite to win that. And, and most of the crossovers, you know, they miss Oregon. That, that's, a, that's a big right. deal. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. it, you know, it, it, it works out relatively well that we're, we're going to, you know, think that they can take care of business against the teams they're supposed to win, you know, against the teams they're supposed to beat. And, you know, they get the right teams at home. And, and so – I'm nervous about relying on Jake Bentley. I'm, I'm nervous about, you know, who's going to take over at running back. Will a re, you know, wide receiver step up? You know, they do have arguably the best tight end in, in uh, the Pac-12 for sure, one of the best in the country in Brant Keithy. But, you know, they do need playmakers. The offensive line is experienced, but it needs to get better. So a lot of questions in a lot of different spots. But, you know, our, our numbers, especially our coaching uh, metrics, our team performance metrics really – you know, give Utah the benefit of the doubt and, and think they're going to get over and, and compete basically co-favorites with USC in the South. Xavier, the thing I like about this schedule for USC, or uh, for Utah, excuse me, specifically, is that USC, I, I think they'll beat Utah, but it, it's they're barely favored here. And the other games that are close where they're not double-digit favorites are Washington State, new head coach, Washington new head coach and they're home against Washington, which is clearly the harder game uh, out of those two. So I like them to win probably 10 games here. Uh, you, you know, so I, I think I'm easily taking the over you, Arizona state also uh, is less than a touchdown. They, they could lose that game and still win 10 though. So right. I, I got the over fairly easy on Utah, man. I don't like Utah. I don't what? like Utah. I'm not a fan of them this year. You're just I'm a sorry. contrarian. <laughs> I don't, you know, I've, I've been st- saying I don't like Utah since their season ended and it came out that they are returning, what, two or three starters on defense, a defense that they relied heavily on last year. Um, you know, offensively, they lose pretty much all of their production points for the most part. Uh, offensively, you know, you know, and, and this is coming from an SEC guy. I don't trust Jake Bitt. I'm sorry. I four Jake losses, Bitt. though. Get, tell me who the four losses are. Washington, USC, okay. Arizona State, and I get and, and give me one weird one. Just give me a weird one in there. They could lose to Callaway. They could lose to BYU to start the year off. I don't like their. I don't like the, the ability that they have to lose these ball games. Their offense doesn't give me any reason to be excited. Uh, every time Nick brought up a position group, is if somebody steps up, if somebody. <laughs> If somebody steps up at receiver, that doesn't give me any kind of confidence but going no, in there. He does. I mean, you know, it's I not mean, like he's out of nowhere. It's not like he's talking about Akron. You know, that's true. That's true. But then you look at their secondary, and they have one guy who has a game started, who's going to be starting next year. You look at their linebacking core, one guy who's had a game started. 
Uh, and you look at their defensive line core, and they have only one guy who's in double digits of games started there. And with how weird this year has been and the lack of ability to get the reps in that are so key, especially defensively, when you play on the defensive side of the ball, hitting somebody is very key to do preseason so that you don't come into the year rusty, so you don't come into the year, you know, uh, lackadaisical on defense. Getting tuned in and getting tuned up on defense is very, very difficult to do when you're just doing it on the fly. And when every have, team's going to have that, though. I understand what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In-game experience. I get that. But everybody's going to have that disadvantage coming in. I, I agree. I just okay. don't like you. I, I have this something that tells me stay away from them this year because they're coming off of a really exceptional last year. Uh, but most of them are gone. And, and when you lose that much talent, um, anything anywhere close to nine wins, I want to stay away from. And they're okay. in an eight and a half. So I'm going to go under because eight is technically under. So I, I'm, I'm going to play that game with you, uh, and, and I'm going to go under on Utah. We're going to go. Uh, that's going to be a fun, uh, a fun one to watch this season. Is uh, we're going to be looking for that weird loss. You better hope it's early. It's got to be to BYU or Wyoming or something because if they start clicking uh, with all that talent that they have rolling downhill, uh, it, it's going to it's going to be a long, annoying year for you. Hearing from uh, me and Nick, so mainly me, obviously, I'm more the smack talker than Nick. But uh, moving down here to the Sun Devils, ranked 43 in the country uh, and third in the South here. Um, you know, in favor to win eight, eight and four. Talent edges in 10 games, though. But the projected wins only came out to 7.2. So we got them going eight and four. But the Vegas total is eight. So this one where it all looks like it's probably going to be eight. You don't want to take the over on that, and when you don't want to take the under, you, you over. You just got to take the under. So, Nick, your thoughts on the Sun Devils this year? They're they're a little bit tricky because there is reason to believe that they could take a step back. They're also losing a lot of production. A lot of guys that uh, were a big part of their offense, specifically, you know, Benjamin, Brendan Ayuk, you know, did a lot for them last year. Jane Daniels played really, really well as a true freshman, especially late in games. And, and I think that's a good sign moving forward. Uh, I, I'm a little bit nervous to, to think that he's going to take a huge next step as a sophomore. I mean, I, I think that he you know, probably overachieved a lot of people's expectations last year. So I think we have to be a little bit careful, but you know, you could certainly see the potential as a passer, he can run a little bit too. They have to keep him healthy, and that offensive line was not great last year. Right. Uh, but, you know, they brought in a couple of, of grad transfers who are going to start uh, on the offensive line, and they brought in a lot of skill position talent uh, in this most recent recruiting class. If those guys get up to speed quickly, especially at the running back position where, you know, Demontre Trainum is, is probably going to be the early favorite to get the most carries, but Daniel Ngata is somebody that, that probably will be in the mix as well. There are going to be three true freshmen I, I expect to be in that receiving rotation alongside Frank Darby, who showed, you know, great, great explosiveness, especially in that win over Oregon and, and you know, flash at other times as well, but has not been, you know, the go-to guy who, you know, we expect him to be this year. So there, there certainly is a case to be made that this offense isn't going to lose a ton, but there still are some uncertainties there. Defensively, you know, from a production standpoint, the linebackers have been very, very good. They rank 
pretty high, Merlin Robertson uh, specifically. The, the secondary is, I think, the strength. They're actually a top five unit nationally, according to our, our roster strength numbers there. And, and all three levels, they're in the top 32. Uh, the defensive line was a bit of a weak spot on the field last year, but I think that there's uh, a chance that they improve there as well. So, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I, I disagree with the, you know, Cal versus Arizona State. Who's better? I, I think Arizona State is going to end up with a better record. And I think, you know, position by position, I'm probably going to side with, with the Sun Devils as, as far as that debate uh, we're concerned. And, and we do have Arizona State as a almost a nine-point favorite in that game uh, in November at, at home at Sun Devil Stadium. So uh, that is, uh, you know, uh, it, it makes me a little bit nervous that there are people out there who feel strongly, you know, in, in the opposite uh, of that. But I think the schedule fits pretty well. I, you know, I think 3-0 and in the non-conference makes sense. Uh, they will be an underdog against USC, underdog against Oregon, and, and probably Utah as well. But every other game is winnable. Uh, I'm not sure that they get through undefeated, but uh, I, I think that there is every opportunity uh, for them to make a run here in the South, especially if Utah, uh, we have them a bit uh, overrated. So even though our predicted win total is right there at eight. I think I have to side uh, with the over and, and think that, you know, if I'm, if I'm forced to choose one, uh, over is, is most likely. Xavier, uh, is this uh, going to be another contrarian team here? Or uh, what, what are you thinking on the Sun Devils? Well, we are talking about the, the, the Pac-12 player of the year here in Jaden Daniels. Oh, um, I like I, that. I, I, I love this team. Uh, I think that the only thing, the only pause I have is what is who's going to be the number two receiver for Jaden Daniels this year? Obviously, he had Frank Darby be that last year, but Frank Darby will be the number one coming into the season. Uh, but but this Arizona State team, I think, could get ten wins. I'm going to go over. Uh, I think that they have a very 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 nice schedule for them. Um, you know, you look at their schedule, their non-conference. They play Northern Arizona, UNLV, and BYU. So you're not playing one of the Big Ten teams like uh, we had or Alabama like USC is earlier that we talked about. And also, you look at the remainder of their schedule. They get Oregon, but that's a way. But this year, they won't be able to sneak up on them. So that's going to be different. And that's my only caveat to Arizona State this year is that they don't have the kind of like sneaky good team title anymore. Like they're a solidified, you know, good team in the Pac-12 right now. Um, and Jaden Daniels is one of the better quarterbacks in the country. And I think that that's going to be where I kind of hold back a little bit because nobody's going to allow them to come in and be like, oh, it's Arizona State. We're not going to play as well. Or we could take a day off, kind of like we, I, I, kind of like how I feel Oregon did to them last year. Um, even with that, I think that they're a team that could win 10 games. I think their offense is going to be very explosive, uh, even with them having to find a number two. And they hit on the head. Their cornerback uh, – Core is one of the best in the country, and you need that to compete in the Pac-12, which is a pass-heavy conference. Um, and and I, I like Arizona State, so I'm going to go over. Uh, I'm I'm going to go under, and I like ASU a lot, but I just don't like that number. I think they're definitely losing those three games. You know uh, that that they're not favored in. So uh, USC, Oregon, Utah is the one question mark, but I I don't think they're going to beat Utah. So uh, and. There's nothing more that the Devils love to do than drop a weird one, you know. Uh, watch, I've watched oh, this team for year. a long time. Yeah, I mean, and they all <laughs> they lost to what Colorado, UCLA, and they beat Oregon. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were really not worry about all that. <laughs> They've got yeah. too many NFL guys on the staff 
to lose these games next year. Okay. And look, I hope you're right because obviously I'm an ASU fan. I'm rooting for him and stuff, but I just don't know, man. I'm just never going to put my my money uh, <laughs> on the Devils here. But the last three teams in the Pac-12, then we got to go Lightning G5 again. Uh, but UCLA, uh, you know, they have talent edges in nine games, but they're only favored uh, in six. So we got them to go six and six. Uh, Arizona. Not great. They only have talent edges in four games. We got them predicted to go four and eight. And Colorado gets real rough. Uh, two talent edges this year. Uh, we got them uh, to win two games, two and ten, and their number is three. Five and a half for UCLA, four and a half for Arizona, Nick. Uh, what do you think about UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado? I think UCLA gets to the over. I think they get to a bowl game. And, and UCLA has been – we've been – as wrong on UCLA as anybody, any of the 130 teams the last two years, because our coach <laughs> ratings uh, treated Chip Kelly like a top five coach and their, you know, talent ratings were, were really, really high. Those things have, have finally worked themselves out a little bit. Chip Kelly's now below average as far as head coach rating and, and wow. a lot of the, you know, overrated guys have, have left the roster. So there's still some concerns that this team has done less with more than arguably anybody in, in at least the conference, if not uh, college football, the last couple of years. But I think the schedule turns around a little bit is, is much more manageable from the non-conference. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, there, there are some players that I, I like. And, and so I think UCLA finally can take a step forward and get to six wins. So I do like uh, the over there. Uh, Arizona is tricky and, and Colorado. But uh, Colorado, I think it's pretty clear that this is going to be the team that ends up with the worst record in, in the Pac-12. I mean, we only have them favored in one game and have them in underdogs in, in every conference game. So even though they're not our lowest ranked team, Oregon State's actually a few points lower. But uh, Colorado, I, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to avoid a 10-loss season, just all the turnover they had offensively. And the coaching carousel, of course, was not kind. Uh, you know, you throw all that into a pandemic when you can't really get uh, guys working out and, and practicing and, and everything. And things are just really stacked in, uh, against Colorado this year. So I think two wins is about right. Under three seems pretty safe to me. Arizona is going to be very, very interesting because I think our numbers are kind of opposite. We don't like them very much offensively. A uh, lot of changeover, of course. Khalil Tate's gone. Running back J.J. Taylor's gone. Uh, guys going in and out of the receiving core. Most of those guys are back, but none of them are very highly rated, and, and some had injuries last year. Defensively, we've got some guys with pretty high ratings, especially at the linebacker core. But as far as team performance last year defensively, they were terrible in the triple digits. So we're higher on them defensively. think it's a fringe top 30 unit as far as talent goes offensively in the 70s. But I'm pretty high on Grant Canal. I think they'll find somebody to carry the football. And, and I think that this – I think Gunnell specifically is a little bit better fit offensively. I would not be at all shocked if he throws for 4,000 yards this year. Uh, he just seems to fit more what they want to do uh, than Codal Tate did in, in years past. And, and I think there's some things to like about Gunnell long-term just in general as, as a quarterback. So I'm, I'm torn here. And it's going to be very difficult for me, though, to, to say over. I think four wins 
you know, under that four and a half just seems like the, the most likely thing. But if that offense really can sort of overperform what we expect, and if the defense can play up to uh, the, the ratings that we've got, this is a team, I think, that could compete for uh, bowl eligibility. But it, it's, you know, it's going to be difficult. And, and right now I don't really trust Arizona as a program to, to really get there. Xavier, UCLA, five and a half, Arizona, four and a half, Colorado, three. UCLA better get it right this year. Um, <laughs> if they don't, I, I think Chip Kelly is going to be on the hottest seat in college football going into 2021 uh, or may not even have a seat. Uh, they they have to right the ship. I do think UCLA is going to be very fun offensively. Uh, uh, DTR, because I couldn't get his name the whole way through, is uh, <laughs> going to be, I think, one of the more underrated quarterbacks in college football this year. I think because UCLA is not going to succeed in the win column a lot, he's going to get a lot of hate. But this is going to be a team that I genuinely think can average like 27 points offensively and still give up 40 points defensively. That's how bad I think this defense is, and I think how, how bad this defense will play next year. Uh, I think a lot of their games are going to be shootouts, and that doesn't bode well. Uh, so I'm going to go under on uh, – no, 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 I'll go over on UCLA. I, I think that they'll, win, they'll be able to put up just enough points to be able to get them to a bowl game and get to six wins, saving Chip Kelly's job for another season. Um, as far as Arizona is, is concerned, I'm with Nick on this one. Uh, I don't know what Arizona is going to look like next year. Uh, Khalil Tate has really been the offense for the better part of the last two years. And with, with a brand new quarterback system that I know probably fits more aligned with what they want to do, it's still going to be a little bit weirder for a, a brand new quarterback to come in and get acclimated with the receivers. Uh, 4,000 yards is, is, I think, run of the mill for a lot of quarterbacks in college football this year or nowadays. So I think that that's not too crazy for Nick. Uh to say, uh, but when I look at Arizona, when I look at Arizona, this is a team that I think is needs to get back on track. And we thought that they may have when Khalil Tate kind of burst onto the scenes a couple of years ago. Uh, but this is a team that really needs to get back on track to really have me feel confident about picking the over. So I'm going to go under here for Arizona. And lastly, I think Colorado's going to suck. Uh, this is <laughs> going to be a bad year for the Buffs. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they lose all the talent that they barely had um, on top of their head coach. Uh, and you're asking them in a coronavirus shortened off season to come in and be a team to compete. Yeah. You're asking for too much. Uh, the buffs are going to go under uh, two wins, you know, looking at their schedule should be plausible, but I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't get to, I'm going to be honest. Uh, so uh, Colorado with the under. Yeah, Colorado, uh, I'm going to take the under on them. I, they have nothing. I mean, losing Steven Montez, who wasn't good, and every, you know, all the Colorado fans <laughs> thought he was great. He was not. And LaVisca was great, right. but obviously hurt too much. And he's gone now, too. So I'm going to take the under on them. I'm uh, hoping they can go over. I think college football is better when Colorado's good. Uh, U of A, I think I'm going to go over four and a half. I think they can do it. I, I, I'm like, Nick has convinced me to like Grant Canal. The rest <laughs> of the team is a little dicey, uh, but I think they, they can uh, pull a couple of those wins out. And then uh, I'm going to go under on UCLA. Just Ch I thought Chip Kelly was going to make this team mm -hmm. start to really roll uh, you know, uh, downhill by this time, and they just haven't. So it's all on Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are going downhill. Uh, so uh, I, I just um, I don't believe in them. So I'm going to take the under on them. Lightning round for the Mountain West, the G5 plus BYU on, here. <laughs> Did you just give uh, an applaud to Kevin Sumlin by picking the over for Arizona? Look, Is hell freezing over? 
I, I, I didn't say I wish for it to happen, <laughs> but uh, I said I think it can happen. So that number is just so low. I mean, you know, uh, looking at Arizona's schedule, they open up with Hawaii, who they barely lost lost to on the road uh, last was it eight year. Turnovers so, was it? Uh, what's that? Yeah, I was like, wasn't it like eight turnovers, like five or four or five between each team? It was ridiculous. Yeah. Portland State, they can beat. I don't think they're beating Stanford, but they're less than a, a you know, they're just a, a touchdown dog, and that's okay. at home. They can win that game. Uh, I don't think they're beating Texas Tech. Uh, UCLA, they can beat. Colorado, <laughs> they can beat. Uh, they're losing to USC, Washington, Oregon, Utah. Uh, they can beat Oregon State. And, you know, don't count them out against ASU. Yeah, that, that is a very, very big rivalry game. So uh, I think they could get up to six wins, you know. So I'm going to take the over on four and a half. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll take the over on that. And I'll, I'll say it confidently, too. And U of A fans are going to be happy with me finally uh, for, for saying something because I don't like Sumlin. Uh, I think he should be gone. But I, I think there's some winnable games there. But lightning round. Going to the Mountain West and BYU. Thank you for making me explain myself, by the way. <laughs> yes, um, but uh, going going to these teams here, uh, Nick, Boise State, 29th in the country. We got them favored in all of their games. Uh, pr- prediction at, at 10 wins. The Vegas number is 9.5, though. So uh, we're kind of right up against it. What do you think about Boise State? I think they get there. I think double-digit wins is – is feasible. This offense is going to take a step forward, more experienced uh, defensively lost Curtis Weaver, but still the best team in the mountain West and could contend for uh, that new Year's six spot. Uh, Xavier Boise state. Yeah. I mean, they're by far and away the best team, in the mountain West, in my opinion, uh, they play a tougher schedule. And I think that that's going to be the reason why I am barely picking the over, but they should be able to, they should be a team that wins 10 games. Air Force favored to win 10, but talent edges in only six. We got them at eight and four, but their win total is eight and a half. Nick, what do you think about uh, Air Force? Air Force is always difficult for us to project, but they bring enough back uh, from a, uh, an excellent, excellent team last year that that we do – we think pretty highly of them. Uh, it, it's going to be difficult – to get there, to, to get over eight and a half wins. So I, I think we're going to have to just really only expect eight and four. Uh, but it wouldn't shock me at all if, if this put, you know, if Air Force puts up double digit wins again, side with the under, but they're the, they're the top contender uh, to Boise State in this side of the, of the conference. Xavier and his weird headphones. <laughs> what do you think about Air Force? <laughs> You're muted. You're muted. There we go. Uh, I'm, I'm going with the over here. Uh, I think Nick hit it right on the head. I think they're going to be one of – I don't want to say they're going to compete with Boise State because I think Boise State still has a commanding lead on the Mountain West as a whole. Uh, but they're a team that should win over eight and a half games, especially with the rest of the competition that's in their side of the conference. And we'll get to it in just a second. They should probably run through their side of the division and uh, or their side of the conference, excuse me, and, and win a couple of games uh, in their non-conference as well. Colorado State, new coach, uh, talent edges – in eight games, we got them uh, predicted to go seven and five. Vegas number is six and a half. What do you think about uh, Colorado State, Nick? 
I've been pretty high on Colorado State. I, I think the talent is there, and I'm not as scared as um, a lot of people are for Steve Adazio. I think he did a, a decent job at Boston College, keeping them competitive uh, with a talent disadvantage in, in most games. So I, I like Colorado State this year. The thing that sticks out to me, they play nine games in which our projected point spread is within eight points. That's more than anybody we've talked about this year. That means they could win all of those games, but that also means they could lose all those games. So it's going to be potentially a bit of a roller coaster, but but I think I have to side with the over. Xavier? Yeah, uh, I, I'm going to go with the over as well. I really like their quarterback play. Uh, I think he's going to make a, a, a big step going into next year. And, and, I, and I like their offense. Their offense gives me reason to think that they can get to seven-plus wins. Uh, Utah State here. Um, only talent edges in two games, but <laughs> projected wins over five. We got them at five and seven. The number is five. So once again, when you see the number uh, line up right, you usually take the under. But what do you think, Nick? Yeah, I think I'm going to go to the under because they're only favored in four. And like you said, talent edges in just two. The loss of Jordan Love hurt. And, and they yeah. also lost their best defensive player as well. So, uh, you know, with the G5, unfortunately, sometimes it's kind of – you know, you, you need to have players who have proven it to you before, yeah. and Utah State's got a lot of uh, inexperience in some key spots. So I'm going to have to sign with the under. Same, Xavier? Absolutely. Their non-conference schedule does them no favors either because they play Washington and Washington State. So, absolutely. Wyoming, same deal. Uh, talent edges in only two games, two and ten, uh, you know, five point. Two two wins for us and five and seven, but the number is six. So it uh, looks like an easy bet on the under again, Nick. I, th- I think so. Usually I give Wyoming the benefit of the doubt. And, and last year we read Wyoming really well. We actually, uh, in, in case you missed it, projected them to beat Missouri in the, in the season opener, which was uh, a, a big point of pride. But Defensively, they lost two guys that were drafted, including Logan Wilson, who was an All-American. Uh, it seems like they might rotate quarterbacks. They've got one of the best running backs in, in uh, probably all the G5, certainly the Mountain West, Xavier, and Validate. But, Absolutely. you know, a lot of, a lot of questions, and, and it's going to be going to be difficult and, and some pretty difficult uh, non-conference matchups as well with Louisiana, Utah, and Ball State's pretty good, uh, as we talked about before. A lot of toss-up games in the Mountain West, so I'm going to have to uh, side with the under. Xavier? I'm going to be a contrarian. I'm going to go with the over. They they put a very sour taste in my mouth after they kicked our butts in the bowl game last year. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm going to go over. They, they they make me feel confident enough after watching them in person to go with the over. I'll, t- I'll take the over, too, just because I like watching them. And if Sean Chambers can uh, – I think he can. You know, if he can stay healthy and be yeah. what he was before – uh, he is just a great running off of Valaday. So that yeah. offense could be better than advertised for sure. Uh, New Mexico, uh, only talent edges in three games. Uh, four, six, nine is our projected wins. Four and nine, obviously, the total. Three and a half is the number, though. Uh, what do you think about New Mexico, Nick? I like the hire of Danny Gonzalez. I think they're going to be better defensively eventually. Might be a little bit of a rough year, but I think Jordan Crest is one of the best wide receivers in the conference. So uh, I think they've got an opportunity to to surprise in, in a couple of games. And the schedule has some very, very favorable matchups. So uh, I I think I'm going to have to, uh, you know, hope for the best and go with the open. Now, uh, uh, Xavier, your, your thoughts on the <laughs> uh, This is a very experienced offense. I think they have an opportunity to 
stay in a lot of games because of it. That defense worries me a lot, but I'm going to go with the over. They're, like, their non-conference schedule outside of the Mississippi State game to get Idaho State and Massachusetts, I think both of those are very winnable games, so that already gets them close to the three-and-a-half win total that we have. That Vegas has them at. I think they can find a way to win two more games. Uh, San Diego State uh, favored in 10 games, but only talent edges in seven. Vegas has them at eight. What do you think, Nick? I, for whatever reason, don't really trust San Diego State. I know that they have uh, done more with less in, in a lot of ways, did in, uh, you know under uh, Rocky Long last year. Don't really trust Brady Hoke, even though he has had some success as the head coach at San Diego State in the past. I, I, I don't love them. I, I think they have a very, very good defense, have a good track record on that side of the ball. They always seem to come up with a productive running back, but uh, I, I think I'm going to side with the talent uh, edge here and instead of the favored uh, point and, and go with the seven and five final record under under eight. And Xavier? Yeah, I think eight's just too much for me to go ahead and do that. I think their defense is going to be excellent, but I think their offense is going to be uh, should be better, but I'm not trusting it. Um, I think that they're going to have to win a lot of games offensively, and that's never a good way to try to win games. So I'm going to go with the under as well. Yeah, the West is kind of a cluster of similar teams here. Mm -hmm. uh, 75, 85, 99. And then the last three teams are down to 100. Fresno State at six. Uh, Talent edges in nine games. Uh, projected them to go six in the six, though, Nick. What do you think about Fresno State? I think I'm going to have to lean to the over. Uh, when we had to make the prediction, I, I sided with six and six. Uh, and that was partly because I had to make sure all of those conference wins lined up and, and made sure yeah. that there was the same number of wins and losses. And Fresno State was a, a last cut that I sort of – uh, took a, a close game and, and put it in the other column. But, you know, with everything else being over, and even though they've got a new head coach, uh, he was on the staff two years ago and had some success there. So got one of the best running backs in, in the Mountain West, Ronnie Rivers, and, and uh, a talented uh, transfer quarterback. I've always played good defense. So I, I think Fresno State can get it done, get back to a bowl game. And, and uh, six wins seems right, but seven I think is very possible. Xavier? Yeah, I think this is a team that underperformed but has been a constant in the Mountain West over the last five years. And I think they get back to that this year. This is a team I think goes way over, so I'm going with at least eight wins. Um, I think they can go ahead and get it done. Mm -hmm. Now, the last four teams here, Hawaii, uh, only talent edges in four games. We got them at five and seven. They're projected for six wins. Nevada, uh, same thing, five and seven. Uh, we got them five and seven. Uh, six and a half is the number there. UNLV only talent edges in four, which is exactly what they we have them winning four, uh, but their number is three and a half. And then San Jose State uh, talent edges in seven games, seven and five, but we have them at five and seven, and the number is five and a half. So, Nick, between these teams and Hawaii is 99, and the rest are post 100. What do you think about the win totals for Hawaii, Nevada, UNLV, and San Jose State? Yeah, that, that win total is going to change for Hawaii because they unfortunately had a game uh, canceled Patriot That's League right. opponent. Uh, so unless they fill that game, Navy also had a, a similar situation. So it's possible they could play Navy uh, on that day. But we'll just sort of, of course, as always, keep our head on the swivel this year. And who knows who will be playing when. But uh, I think because of that right now, I have to side with the under because that was going to be a win yeah. over mm -hmm. Fordham. Uh, you know, before that, six wins seemed about right. Five right now is really the best that I, I could see it happening. You know, 
I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the coaching change. I, it's interesting what they're doing recruiting-wise going into Texas, but I really thought Nick Rolovich did a great job there. And, and uh, what, what's his name? The, uh, Todd Graham just it still strikes me as an odd fit. Uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping for the job. best. I'm hoping for the best, but I, I think it might be a difficult uh, year one, even though they do have some talented players, really like Shevin Cordero, quarterback. I don't think they're, they're going to see a big drop-off, honestly, from Cole really? McDonald. So uh, I, I think that they're going to be a, a tough out, but I, I think that uh, they don't get my benefit of the doubt going into this year. So I, I think under for them. Nevada is, was the worst team who made a bowl game, according to our numbers last year. They really overachieved from a one-loss standpoint. And, you know, there, there are things to like. There, there are good things about that. Shows that hey, they did a good coaching job. And they do have some talent at running back and, and uh, receivers specifically. But uh, I, I think that things are going to even out from a luck standpoint. They're going to go over. I think five wins seems right. So under six and a half, uh, I feel pretty comfortable in that. UNLV, somewhat, somewhat again, on the opposite end, I, I think that this is a team that has underachieved the last couple of years. It's more talented than it showed last year. They did sort of come together, picked up a couple of wins that they maybe shouldn't have. I think the recruiting long term is, is going to be uh, really, really good. I mean, Arroyo is is uh, got them really clicking from a recruiting standpoint. It's going to raise the talent level overall. So I think long term, it's going to be good. Uh, this year, not sure if it's going to pay off necessarily, but our, our numbers do like four wins. So the, the over seems uh, not a, not a, you know, we lean there, not a, not a huge uh, push, but I, I think that's certainly possible. San Jose State, I kind of disagree with our numbers here. I did put a, a five and seven projection, but I think this team can get to a bowl game. I like Nick Starkle. I like the the talent that they've got offensively and, and uh, their coaching ratings have really taken a hit uh, because of the first couple of years under Brent Brennan uh, were just among the worst teams in, in college football. So they really dug a hole was difficult to climb out of, uh, but they made some progress last year. And I think they're a more talented team this year. I think they'll get to six wins, get to a bowl game. Xavier, the last uh, four teams here before we get hit BYU, Hawaii six, Nevada six and a half, UNLV three and a half, San Jose State five and a half. Yeah, I, I honestly thought that Nick was going to hit hit it on the head and say that Cole McDonald leaving was going to be a huge miss for them. Um, I think it's still Cordero, might. much higher recruited. Yeah, yeah, right? uh, yeah, I understand that. But thirty three touchdowns and fourteen ints and thirty six touchdowns and ten ints in the last two years as quarterback are really, really excellent numbers. Uh, their defense just sucks. It's going to be tough to think that they can hold teams from from going well over their averages. Um, and that was their problem last year. I don't know if they changed that this year with a brand-new head coach. Um, so I'm going to go under on Hawaii. Uh, as far as Nevada is concerned, because, I'm, because I feel so strongly about going under for the next two teams, I feel like one of these teams <laughs> has to go over their win totals. So if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to go ahead and pick uh, – I'm going to pick Nevada. Um, to go over their six and a half and get to seven. UNLV is just a team that continues to show their lack of ability to play the game of football at times. And I think that it's going to be a rough year for the for UNLV again. I think Armani Rogers leaving is a sign that that's been the case and that that's going to be, be the case uh, for at least another year or two. And then with San Jose State, I know they have a talent edge in seven and a half, seven games, excuse me. But the thing about San Jose State is, and I just don't, they never strike me as a team that's going to play well 
consistently. Um, they'll win two games in a row, then roll off four losses. And, and, it, and it's something that I think they have to get right at San Jose State. And they hit around their head. They have not played good football at all. And, and for them to jump from, you know, what they were able to do last season all the way to seven wins is ridiculous to think of. So I'm going to go under on them as well. All right. BYU. Uh, BYU, we've got uh, – did, did I miss somebody? Oh, no, no. I was going to say BYU is such a weird team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're tough. Uh, you know, uh, they, they're, and they're tough every year because they're, they're, they can beat anybody, it seems. But we've only got them favored in five games this year. Projected wins right under six and six and six, their record. But Vegas has them for seven because they can beat anyone and because they're a very popular team that people will bet the over on Nick. So uh, seven is the number. What do you think? It's it's going to be very, very difficult because they are – some of those games that they're favored in and, and even some that they're underdogs in uh, are virtual – coin flips. I mean, less than a point difference between uh, them and Arizona, uh, Houston, uh, right at one point for Michigan State. So, you know, are they going two and one in those games or one and two of those games? They could win all three. They could lose all three. Who knows? So, so it's it's going to be difficult. We see Utah as a really heavy favorite, uh, much, much higher. And even the early lines that I've seen, Vegas has them, I think, seven. Last I saw, we've got it at 17. So obviously, I, I mentioned how we're higher on Utah than probably than most. That plays into that, but we see a pretty big edge there. But that makes me very nervous. It's a it's a rivalry game similar with Boise State. We've seen BYU beat Boise State. We've seen them beat Power 5 teams. So they're going to be a tough out for uh, a Minnesota, for, uh, you know, even, even a Stanford at the end of the year. And so a lot of these games could go either way. They did have uh, a ton of injuries, especially on the offensive line. Our numbers think that BYU's got a top 15 offensive line if everybody stays healthy. That, I think, is a, a huge plus. I do like Zach Wilson at quarterback. They keep talking about how that job is wide open, that Jaron Hall and Baylor Romney are, are in the mix, but I do think Zach Wilson's going to get that job and hold on to it. He needs some playmakers. He does have Matt Bushman, who I think is one of the best tight ends in the country, and then the secondary should be better. Even though they've only got one guy uh, who's listed as a returning starter, they've got three guys coming back from injury who've started more than a dozen games, and then another guy penciled in as a starter who's, who's made 10 starts. So it's a much more experienced unit than it looks like maybe on paper. Uh, if the front seven can you know, be a strength, uh, then I think that the secondary is going to be able to, to you know, play a little bit better than what uh, some might expect, and it's probably a top 70, maybe even push for a, a top 50 type uh, defense. So I think BYU, you know, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt more often than not. So I'm probably going to side with the over if, if, if I were to, you know, be forced to choose one, even though uh, <laughs> I know it seems strange. I actually, the predicted is, is six when the win total is seven, but I might have to, to reevaluate that because I think, I think BYU probably should get the benefit of the doubt maybe more often than not, probably going to win, uh, you know, two or three of those coin flips and maybe even knock off a team that they're an underdog of, of seven to 10 points. Xavier, what do you think of the uh, Storm and Mormons there? Nick did it to me again, man. He, he convinced <laughs> me to go the opposite way. I was just ready to talk about how tough their schedule was. And then Nick started bringing out the numbers and the fact that every time that they play a team that they're not supposed to win, they beat them anyways. And it's uh, – I'm going to go with BYU going over now. 
Nick did it to me again. I like Zach Wilson at quarterback. I, I love what he brings to the table, being able to run out of the pocket and throw the ball. I think that helps in the fact that he won't have too, <laughs> too many um, weapons on the outside. Uh, it's going to help with that, being able to be a duel with that quarterback. And I, and I think that he has the ability to make that next step uh, and help out that BYU team. I think Nick hit it right on the head. Their defense is going to be better than it was last year. I think that was Achilles heel for them in a lot of their games because they can put up points with pretty much anybody that they play on their schedule. It's all about whether or not their defense can make enough stops for them to win. So I'm going to go with BYU on the over now. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, that's <laughs> going to wrap it up for us. I do have to uh, punch out real quick, so – I will just let you guys know at Bogdan Sports, <laughs> at CFB Winning Edge, at Xavier underscore Trish, T R I C H E. And what do we have coming up next week, Nick? Next week's the Big 12 and Conference USA. Time Big to play Texas. Conference <laughs> USA. That's right. So we get to talk about Texas. I'm excited. So we will see you guys next week. Check out the Patreon and uh, take it easy, everybody. We'll see you. CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.